Another episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. A show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the world of education. This time around, I spoke to Andrew Blair. Andrew is the head of maths at Haverstock School in Camden in Inner London, and he is the creator of inquirymaths.org. Now, in recent episodes, this podcast has featured guests who favour an explicit instruction approach to teaching, most notably my interviews with Greg Ashman and Chris Bolton. Speaking to these guests, together with the reading of educational research that I've been doing over the last 12 months, has led to me moving rather rapidly along this path myself, favouring teacher-led instruction ahead of the rich tasks and investigations I so passionately believed in for most of my career. And that was exactly why I was so keen to have Andrew on the show. I've known Andrew for many years. He's someone I admire and respect greatly. Indeed, I interviewed him about inquiries and being ahead of maths back in 2013 when I used to do my Tez Maths podcast, a time where I considered a one-hour interview a little on the excessive side how things have changed. I'm actually going to release this old interview as a special podcast in the next few weeks, as listening back to it in preparation for this interview made me realise that it is still very much worth a listen, especially what Andrew has to say on inquiries and the challenges and benefits of being ahead of maths. Anyway, Andrew's Inquiry Maths website is a goldmine of ideas, complete with teacher guidance, examples of student work and supporting resources for those wishing to try out inquiries. But, and it's a big but, there is no doubt that this approach to teaching and learning is the polar opposite to that favoured by many of the traditionalists. As the homepage of the Inquiry Maths website explains, and I quote, Inquiry Maths is a model of teaching that encourages students to regulate their own activity while exploring a mathematical statement called a prompt. Inquiries can involve a class on diverse paths of exploration or in listening to a teacher's explanation. Here's the big one. In inquiry maths, students take responsibility for directing the lesson with the teacher acting as the arbiter of legitimate mathematical activity. So, in a wide-ranging interview, we covered the following things and more. Andrew describes in great detail how he plans and delivers a sequence of five structured inquiry lessons to a Year 7 class. And if you want to hear Andrew discuss in detail how he plans a more open inquiry, then check out that old Tez Maths podcast that I'm going to put live in a couple of weeks. We discuss why inquiry lessons sometimes go wrong. We look at the popular debate between explicit instruction and more minimally guided forms of instruction and why Andrew feels it's not right to lump things like discovery learning and inquiries together. Andrew answers a guest question from follow fellow podcast guest Chris Bolton about explicit instruction and problem solving and I've promised Andrew he can have one in return for Chris. I ask what are the major advantages of inquiries? Why does Andrew feel key skills and procedures can be taught within an inquiry? And how does this work practically? What type of classes do inquiries work best with? Young, old, mixed abilities or setted? Should teachers in their first few years of teaching try to run inquiries? Are there a generic set of inquiry skills that can be taught within the domain of mathematics? And what does Andrew wish he knew when he first started teaching that he knows now? 
Listen, I know I say this every time, but honestly, this is an absolute cracker. If, like me, you've been convinced by the arguments of Greg Ashman and Chris Bolton in recent episodes, I promise this interview will give you food for thought. I had to go on a flipping long walk after it, followed by a long lie down, followed by a pint of Guinness, just to try and organise the thoughts that were whizzing around in my head. I'll share what I've come up with so far in my takeaway at the end of the interview. The usual desperate plea at this stage to give me a quick rating and review on iTunes if you have a spare minute. And thanks so much for those of you who have. Honestly, it means the flipping world to me, so thank you. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce Andrew Blair. Apologies in advance for the sound quality. It's a little bit ropey at times. Andrew was recording this interview in school, and we all know what school IT and Wi-Fi can be like. But I really hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. I am sure you will, and I hope it makes you think, because it certainly did for me. And as ever, I will see you on the other side. Okay, Andrew, so we begin as ever with your maths speed dating questions. So question number one, what is your favourite number and why? Uh, hi, Craig. Uh, my favourite number is four. Uh, I don't have a mathematical reason for that. I just uh, grew up, uh, or my childhood was spent in number four, the house number, and there were four people in my family. Uh, so throughout my life, I've just had a feeling for four. There you go, that's not a very good answer. <laughs> oh, that's well, i what, you're in good company there, because uh, Professor Elizabeth Bjork's favourite number is four as well, Andrew. So, yeah, yeah, you're doing all right with that one. That's an excellent choice. Uh, and uh, question number two, then. What was your favourite topic in maths as a student? I've thought about this, and I don't, I don't think I really have one. I, I do have one that I really didn't like, and that was mechanics. And I never got hold of that at all. I couldn't, I, I couldn't grasp it from the first lesson. Uh, and my teacher wasn't particularly communicative, uh, A-level, and uh, mechanics I've uh, always shied away from since then. But in, in, in terms of other topics, um, I love them all, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, Andrew, I'm with you there on mechanics. It's definitely my least favourite. And do you Have you ever had to teach it at A-level? No, I've, no. I've, I've, I've avoided that. And as head of department, I've been able to avoid that as time has gone on. Nice, and because exact same with me. But my fear is with this with this new A level that I'm going to have to have to start dabbling with it at some uh, point. Do you reckon you can still avoid it? Uh, I had I had the same uh, um, well not fears, but I, I thought I needed I needed to get to grips with it, and uh, well, eventually I will with the new A level. You're right. Yeah, well, fingers crossed we can put it off as long as possible. Um, and final question for speed dating is, what job would you like to do if you weren't involved in education, Andrew? Uh, I, haven't got a, I haven't got any answer for this one. I, I've, I've uh, worked in an office in the city. I've worked as a researcher in a university. Uh, I've worked in a uh, publishing company uh, before I went into teaching. And uh, teaching is just the best job in the world. Oh, that's a fantastic answer. I love that. And that, that kind of segues us nicely into the next question. And could you just give us a, a brief overview of your career to date, Andrew? Uh, well, OK. I mean, it's the beginning of the year, uh, school year, uh, and uh, NQTs will be starting. And I started as an NQT in inner London, uh, in Islington, and had a uh, very, very difficult first two years. Um, mentally, it, it affected me um, very, very much, and I, I nearly didn't survive in teaching, really. Uh, after the second year, I went abroad. I spent uh, six years in Argentina and taught in a very, very uh, innovative school, 
Um, yeah, it was a private school run by a professor at the University of Buenos Aires. Um, and I really loved teaching there. Um, but then, I, for one reason or another, I came back to the UK. I uh, did some supply work. Uh, got some got some jobs um, quite quickly. Even then, back in the late 90s, uh, there was a shortage. Uh, went into uh, full-time maths work. I became a key stage four coordinator, and within two years, I was I was head of maths, and I've been head of, head of maths ever since uh, for 17, going into my 18th year, and I've been head of maths in four different schools. Oh, oh yeah, go on. What were you going to say? Oh no, I was just going to say that. That's that. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, Josh. No, no. Um, I was just wondering, just when, when you were saying there, um, again, if you don't mind, if you don't mind talking about it briefly, what was it that was so difficult in your first couple of years? Because I know that 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 for me was the same, and I know a lot of teachers listening will will kind of all empathise with that. And we obviously have massive dropout rates um, for maths teachers um, in this country. What in particular did you find difficult at the start of your teaching career? Uh, well, I was very naive, and um, I've always worked in, in uh, I suppose you call challenging, in inverted commas, challenging schools in, in areas of uh, high so- social deprivation, ah, with the exception of the school in Argentina. And one period when I was in a rural school in the UK, I spent two years as head of maths in a, a rural school, uh, outstanding school. Uh, uh, there was a point in my career when I thought, I wonder what it is like out there. Uh, uh, that was very interesting because at the first teaching and learning meeting I went to, or head of departments meeting, there was a teaching and learning uh, um, session, part of the, oh, there's the, the school buzzer. That's fine. I, I, did, I did warn you. Uh, <laughs> it's authentic. We'll keep yeah, going. I remember at the end of the teaching and learning session, uh, the assistant head teacher came up. I, I said a few words. I, I didn't think they were particularly controversial. Uh, and the, the um, assistant head for teaching and learning came up and said, um, I don't think you're going to fit in here. Jeez, <laughs> what, can you remember what you said? I can't remember what I said, but it, it, it was probably inquiry related. Uh, or student-led learning or some, something. I thought quite innocuous, but for, for very early on, I, it was clear that uh, teaching methods were, were very different then. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember your question again. No, Craig. well, well I'm just... I drift off. Go on. <laughs> no, you, you're, you're fine. I was just wondering, um, yeah, what oh, yeah, back was to the, sorry, the struggle? The yeah. uh, I was naive. Um, I, I wanted to make a difference, like many te- teachers do. I was uh, idealistic. Uh, I went into an inner, inner London school. Um, I remember the year 10 class had, had stolen uh, coloured pencils from the lesson before snap them up and every time I turned to the board uh, I was uh, kind of uh, all these pencils rained down on me oh god <laughs> so, so by the end of the lesson there was a, a pile of uh, pencils all around <laughs> by the front of the classroom anyway um, yeah it was just it, it was the behaviour was, was was difficult and challenging and I, I had strategies uh, that weren't effective initially and I had to work very hard as, as, as we do in the teaching profession um to, to ensure that I could teach that group and other groups effectively. In fact, I remember one year eight group, uh, I had them at the end of a Thursday, uh, Thursday afternoon, and that was a torrid time. And I, uh, it's the only time in my career, the next morning, this is my NQT year, the next morning I could not go in. Uh, uh, mentally, I couldn't face, I couldn't, it, it was the same group, period one, and I just couldn't face them. So, you know, they, it is very, very tough, but... Uh, you know, I'm still standing and still 
teaching in classrooms and I would say to any NQT out there who's starting this year, it, it, it's a great profession. Oh, it certainly is. And I wonder, just on that, Andrew, now you're head of department, what what, what do you say to, or what, what support do you offer to, to NQTs or any teacher who's who's in a similar position that you were in back at the start of your career? Uh, well, it's interesting because I had a head of department, very, very strong head of department in, in those days. And um, she would come into the, into the lesson when I called her and she would shout at the class uh, and they would quieten down. Uh, and then she'd walk out <laughs> and mayhem ensued yes. uh, immediately. So for me, uh, I have to enable and empower the teacher. Uh, and it's, it's a long-term process of putting different strategies in place. Me, me, okay, oh, there's another buzzer. Occasionally, I suppose I can, I can draw on the, you know, I will give you a stern talking to, but I might do it to an individual in tutor time or uh, a group. Uh, immediately after the lesson in, in um, uh, uh, lunchtime or whenever, rather than you know addressing the whole class, that's that I, I give that that's the preserve of, of the teacher. The teacher has the right to address the class, uh, in in my view. And I saw the problem of someone else in authority doing that uh, and taking away the authority of the teacher in a way. So I, I try to enable and, and empower teachers uh, with strategies. And it's a long-term process. It's not necessarily one one overnight. Um, uh, yeah, so that, that's, the, that's the approach I take. Got it. Superb. Well, um, let, let's dive into the teaching and learning aspects. I've, I've, I've been wanting to have you on for, for so long, Andrew, and, and this is the bit I'm, I'm looking forward to most. And as I do with all my guests, I'm going to be annoyingly interrupting your left, right and centre. But, but I wonder if you can um, just take us through the process of planning, planning and delivering an inquiry lesson. Um, and if you give us as much context as you can about the class, their, their kind of um, ability, whether it's set it or mixed ability or whatever, their prior experiences. And just talk us through the start of the planning process right through to what the lesson actually looks like, if that's OK. Uh, okay, the last time you interviewed me, Craig, um, I, I talked about a Year 10 class, an inquiry with a Year 10 class, which was very uh, fast-paced, um, uh, had d different re mathematical representations that came out of, of their ideas, numerical algebraic, um, the diagrammatic representations. So I've gone for, and that was a very kind of open inquiry, although I was... Um, Leading, I suppose, and, and, and getting ideas from uh, lots of ideas from students. I didn't really structure that to the extent uh, that I might structure another one. So this this one I've chosen to, uh, for this interview is, is far more structured. It's year seven class mixed attainment, uh, and on the web on the inquiry maths website, it's the statistical diagrams inquiry. Uh, and on the website, there is actually a, a slideshow of of what happened in this inquiry. How would I plan it? Well. Um, I, I, within the within the diagram, there are three. Um, uh, sorry, within the prompt, there are three diagrams: there's a bar chart, pie chart, and a scatter graph. And I needed to uh, prepare material around the skills involved in, in drawing those uh, and interpreting those forms of diagrams. Boom. There you go. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no. Keep keep going. So you um. So that that's what the that is because I'm I'm fascinated by the actual planning behind this. That is what the planning involves, is it? It's the kind of preparation of the materials. Are you 
anticipating some of the um, kind of questions kids are going to ask, or are you at the stage now where you're just going to almost wing it and, and see what happens in the lesson itself? Uh, no, I would never wing it. Uh, and the, the questions are, I mean, the prompt sets a, a field, really, a field of inquiries, uh, exploratory zones, uh, some writers call it. Um, so within, within that field, there are, there are certain things students are going to need to know uh, to explore that field of inquiry, I suppose, and to develop different pathways of their own even. So I, I have to prepare um, resources in a way to, make, to, to ensure that they can, they can carry out those skills, they, they, they know those skills. Uh, and those, those resources form or gathering those resources and, and, and thinking about the different pathways that might emerge from the, the prompt uh, form the core of the planning. And can you can you describe to us in detail one of these prompts then, Andrew, and the and just give us a sense of the the supporting resources that you're preparing for it? Uh, okay. Well, do, do you want me to talk through this this particular inquiry? It's, it's called a statistical diagrams inquiry. It's got a bar chart, pie chart, and a scatter graph, and students uh, have to ask questions uh, and, and notice things. This is how an inquiry math lesson would start. Uh, so I ask them to comment or to question or to, to, to pose questions about the prompt. Um, so, yeah, do you want to ask another question? Sorry, yeah, sorry. no. I'm, so am I picturing these three prompts? Um, they're kind of the kids have entered the room and are they faced with these three prompts presented simultaneously on the board? And yeah. then, then what do you say? Like, how, how does the lesson progress? OK, well, the. the, the a prompt has to has to have uh, something familiar, uh, so students aren't scared uh, scared away from it. Uh, but also has to have something intriguing uh, that draws them in uh, and makes them want to question them and, and motivates them to to want to learn about uh, the diag in this case the three diagrams in front of them. So the bar chart and the pie chart, the proportions of the of the pie chart look very similar to the heights of the bars, and the scatter graph again. Uh, pictorially looks similar to the bar chart in terms of it, it's, it's a positive correlation and the bars on the bar chart are getting higher. So there's, there's, there's uh, elements or properties of, of, of the diagrams that are quite intriguing and re um, allow students to raise questions about, about this prompt. The prompt is on the board when they walk in. Uh, this particular class had probably done about nine or ten inquiries at that point. Um, and they see the prompt, and they, they there's a prompt. The, the prompt is also presented to them on on, on paper, and they know by, by this stage uh, that they're going to be required in pairs to ask a question or, or or make an observation. And so that's that's the start of the lesson. Got it. And what? Um, so you're as a teacher at this stage, you're not really needing to do anything. You've you've got the prompts up on the board. You've handed out the prompts, paper copies, and the kids are just working in pairs now, and they're coming up with questions. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Got I would it. Be doing, probably be doing the register at that point. Not not calling the register because I don't want to interrupt them, but doing the register. Got it. And just so we're clear here, there's no there's no other starter to the lesson. There's no. Corbett Maths five a day or new fluency drill or anything like that. The start of the lesson is this prompt. Yes. Got it. Fantastic. And just because um, what I'll do, I'll obviously link to to this particular inquiry so people when they're listening can have a look at these prompts. But what kind of what kind of questions would you expect the students to be coming up with at this stage? Or what do what did they come up with? Well, um, there's no data. 
so what, one set of questions uh, related to, 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 to what, what, what data underlies these diagrams. Uh, very interesting question, uh, questions developed around uh, whether the, the bar chart and the pie chart were drawn from the same data. Uh, and there was there was speculation that they were, and other, others weren't weren't happy with that idea and, and, and weren't sure. Uh, there was there were questions, uh, there were comments about uh, what what a pie chart is, uh, the difference between a bar chart and a pie chart. So so the, the, the class had some uh, some good knowledge around that. The, the scatter graph, the, the, their knowledge was um, patchy, shall we say, uh, or or mistaken. There were misconceptions around the the, the scatter graph, and they they called it. Uh, by a different name, they did, there was one interesting comment about it's e it's easy to predict the next result on a scatter graph than it is with a pie chart or a bar chart. So they they were comparing and they were taking their knowledge of one and, and extending it over the others, comparing it to the other diagrams. Um, the very, the most interesting question I remember from Zainab, uh, she said, "Which one is the best one to use for different data?" So that that was a very uh, perceptive question. Flipping heck. And just so I can get the kind of practicalities of this, Andrew, they're, they're discussing these questions in pairs and then are they sharing them with you, the teacher, and are you kind of writing them up on the board, making a note of them? And how do you were saying that um, some students weren't entirely happy with what some some of the questions or some of the speculation other groups were having. How is are you kind of facilitating that debate as and when the as and when students are suggesting these questions kind of one at a time? Uh, no, I, uh, we all listen to each other uh, and I record the questions and, and, the, and the comments as, as we go along. There's, there's, there's no, there's, at that stage, there's no interaction between one pair and another. Um, we, we listen to each and every question and, and statement and, and every pair is expected to contribute. I mean, that's very important. Uh, and, and every every pair and, and um, every pair did contribute, and, and they were expecting to do so. So for me, getting to that 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 level is is an important stage in inquiry learning that everyone can comment or pose a question. Got it. And I'm a, I'm right in saying again, just to make sure I'm I'm absolutely hundred percent on this. These are questions the kids are asking. They're not kind of. Um, not statements they're making, if that makes sense. So it's not that that students are saying something that is either definitely right or wrong. It's questions that they're posing. Uh, well, they might they might make a statement. I mean, for example, they uh, about the pie chart. They said it's 360 degrees, and I, I said, well, what does that mean? So we had an explanation of, of, of what that meant, so everyone was was sure. Uh, there was there was someone else. Uh, another pair said, in in a pie chart always has to add up to a hundred interesting yes comment. so uh, we, we, we did explore that so there are certain things I, I want clarification over so that everyone understands the meaning of, of the statement uh, or the observation so they, they were obviously connecting it to percentages although then someone came and said you can also split it into fractions so I mean there was there was good knowledge around pie charts coming out of, of primary school now, this is interesting, this, because this is one of the things that I really want to dig into. Um, and I want to, whenever we have kind of advocates on this show of, of explicit instruction, one of one of the kind of advantages that they see of explicit instruction. And, and I think I agree with this is that the teachers in, in a lot has a lot more control over the over the discussion that's happening. So take, for example, that comment about the pie charts adding to 100 and the totals adding to 100. How are you dealing with that, Andrew? Are you immediately writing that? 
up on the board um, just as you would write up a true statement or are you recognizing that that's not quite right and then saying to the students does anybody have anything to say about that how, how practically do, do you deal with um kind of mistakes or misconceptions well i don't i don't that that was just seeing the pie chart in a different context as as um as as, as each part being a percentage of something of a whole so i i, I generally probe and question and if, if i don't if i'm not satisfied i might throw throw that particular statement out to the class but that would be a very short section and then we would move around and, and, and ensure that everyone contributed and got a chance to say what they wanted to say or, or pose the question they wanted to, to pose um i for me if if i if i if i planned a lesson uh using explicit instruction if i understand that term i'm, I'm I mean, there are different definitions around explicit and direct instruction, but if I had planned a lesson around that, it, it, for half the class, it would have been a complete waste of time because they were very secure on the idea of 100 and percentages in, in, in pie charts. So uh, for me, that, that I, I was assessing immediately and, and assessed uh, uh, from that that there was knowledge in the room about that. Uh, so, well, for at least that pair, let's say, if I had planned a lesson around percentages in the pie chart maybe it would have been a waste of time god that, 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 that would be one response i would make anyway go on sorry no 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 this, this is absolutely fantastic got it so just to kind of moving on with this lesson you've you've gone through this stage where each pair has had an opportunity to suggest a question or a statement and you've written these up on the board and possibly probed a bit deeper into some of them if you felt the need was there how long does that process take normally andrew uh, that might take a long time in terms of a, of a, of a classroom lesson. Uh, I mean, that that probably took about half an hour by the time we probed certain things. Uh, I mean, if, if there was uh, knowledge required to develop the prompt uh, and develop the inquiry, uh, for example, adding fractions uh, was, was the skill required or process procedure required to understand a prompt, I might... Uh, if, if the knowledge wasn't in the room, uh, I might teach that. That might look like explicit instruction at that point uh, before we got underway with the full inquiry, if that makes sense. So I'm not inquiry isn't isn't about the teacher not imparting knowledge in in some way. Uh, it's about students developing pathways to explore mathematically. I mean, we can go into that a bit more. That wasn't necessarily a full explanation, but we can go into that maybe later. No, that's great. That's like a little teaser for what's to come. Yeah, there, oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Um, so you've, you've, oh, and the other thing I was going to ask, you mentioned that you, um, prov uh, as part of the planning, you provided some um, kind of support materials. Have, right, have, yeah, they, so have they been used at this stage in this lesson yet? Or uh, no, so we, we, we did this for about half an hour, and then, then um, I, give, I give out cards. For me... Uh, in my model of inquiry, inquiry maths, I, I, the cards are very important because they, they communicate. They are the means for the, the student to communicate to the teacher and, and vice versa in a way. Uh, and so the student uses the cards to, to direct or to suggest directions for the lesson. Uh, and then the teacher uses those suggestions to plan the lesson effectively and to structure where we're going to go with the inquiry. So in this particular case, um, as we as we discussed the prompt, uh, it became evident that, that many students didn't know how to draw a pie chart. They knew they, they could interpret a pie chart. They understood that there was a connection with 360 degrees, 100%. Um, 
but they couldn't draw a pie chart, uh, which is something that they, they, I felt they would need to do as the inquiry developed. So a lot of students chose the card, practice a procedure. There were six cards, uh, and we spent the rest of the lesson uh, agreed between me and them, or me directing them from their suggestions, that this was the best way to finish the lesson, that everyone uh, had to be able to draw a pie chart by the end of the lesson. Got it. Okay. And in that terms the of the first lesson, yeah. Got it. And in, t- in terms of differentiation, there, Andrew, you mentioned there was um, six cards. What what what's different um, on each of these cards? Sorry. Well, in this okay, with this particular class, I was using the six the six cards. Uh, there are other sets of cards, uh, more sophisticated sets, uh, and not not necessarily all the uh, cards are relevant to each part of the lesson. So. Uh, on, on other cases, find more examples, change the prompt, decide on the aim of the inquiry, ask the teacher or, or a student to explain, inquire with another student. Those, the, those are the six cards. Interestingly, I always add in, into a set cards, blank cards. Uh, and this class, uh, over the year, has been very good at creating their own cards. So they're becoming more independent by writing their own suggestions of what they should do mathematically to develop the inquiry. Uh, and for me, that that is one one fundamental aim of inquiry that students develop independent uh, or an independent ability to, to to think and to direct their own activity. And so when they they write their own suggestions on their cards, that I, suggestions that I haven't given them, uh, and they're mathematically valid, that for me is uh, a highlight of an inquiry process. Got it. Got it. So just just again returning to this lesson with the. Um... So you, you mentioned that you um, for the remainder of that lesson, after you discussed um, the questions that the students had, you got them drawing pie charts because you, you realised that that was going to be a fundamental skill um, that they were going to need to have mastered or be competent at in order to progress with the inquiry. I, I was would say, th- just going back to my initial comment about this particular inquiry, I, I, I've chosen this one because I, I structured it quite uh, a lot and perhaps more than in, in, in other cases so that last time you interviewed me as I said the, the, the inquiry was more open uh, and more fast paced this one is, is, is a more structured process and I had uh, when you talk about planning I had planned in uh, to, that this might occur that the students might not be able to do a pie chart and I'd, I'd planned some resources around that and and we agreed that that, that was the best way forward Got it. Got it. Well, with that, because that, that, that's that's exactly what, what I want to want to get to the bottom of with. So you'd you'd um, anticipated that drawing a pie chart might be an issue for some of the students. Could you just um, and apologies if I missed it. But how did you how did you assess that that was going to be a need within the lesson, Andrew? Was that just via the discussions that students were no, having? No, it, was or... by, it was via the cards. So the, the, the students, uh, the majority of students chose the card practice a procedure. Right. Uh, and I, uh, and on, on probing, the procedure was draw a pie chart. So that that's, uh, and even the students that chose other cards, uh, a very mathematical, or mathematically advanced card for me to decide on the aim of the inquiry. I, I kind of delayed that if that was chosen, and I, and I suggested that we all consolidated a skill that we might have had, or the majority needed to develop that. So yeah. that. I got that from their choice of cards, and the, and the majority of students chose practice and procedure. Got it. And would there be any instance in that lesson where you would you would have 
changed plan and not got them practicing drawing pie charts? What what would need to have happened for you to have decided not to do that? Uh, if if uh, a student uh, was able to demonstrate on the board how, how to do it and and the majority of students have chosen a different card, uh, perhaps change the prompt um, or decide on the aim, and then we had a discussion about a, part, a different pathway through the inquiry, then, then I would have abandoned or, or sorry, abandoned, rejected that, that, that um, uh, process or, or, or reject the drawing of the, the, of the pie chart. Or I might have uh, not insisted that everyone try it and, and maybe just a few students who, who had selected the car practice procedure, they, they did it. And I, I took a small group and, and uh, explained how, how, how to do it and then, then they went to practice that. So it, dep it depends on the number of students choosing particular cards and, and the overwhelming majority wanted to do that. So that's what we did. Got it. And I'm assuming, and again, we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit later, but you said that these this particular class had, had gone through a lot of these inquiries. So I'm assuming that the, the a kind of key part of the success behind this is firstly kids being honest and secondly, them actually appreciating where their deficiencies are. And I just wonder... How do you get the kids to that stage? Because that, that I'm right in saying, Andrew, Alter, that that is a key part of the success of this. Uh, well, that yes, I, I, I accept that, and I think uh, the more the more inquiries you do, the more honest you are with them, and they are with you. Yes. Uh, and and the greater the trust in the classroom, then these discussions are quite open, uh, and students are prepared to discuss weaknesses and and what they need to, to develop um, because you're treating their questions and and their observations from the start of the inquiry with, with, with great seriousness and and they they appreciate that uh, and they're more prepared to talk to you and to trust you and to work with you um, and listen to you when they ask for explanations and um, uh, and instruction they're, they're more prepared to listen to you uh, and the relationship is, is, is a much more open and trusting relationship than maybe in some other classrooms. Got it. Fantastic. So we're at the end of... Oh, sorry, I was going to ask as well, Andrew. How long, oh, yeah. are, your how long are your lessons? One hour lessons. One hour, right. Yeah. So we're at, the, we're at the end of that first hour and we've we've discussed the prompts. You've got loads of questions recorded and, yeah. and statements and observations. And you've also had chance to uh, check that kids can uh, uh, fluent or competent or whatever, whatever terminology we want to use in yeah. drawing a pie chart does yeah. that particular lesson end with any whether it be a plenary or anything do you have any fixed way of ending individual lessons within an inquiry uh well interestingly in this series of lessons i think there were five lessons in all uh at the end of, of a lesson we would discuss what we would do in the next lesson um, so, it, so it didn't end with a plenary about drawing uh, pie charts. It ended with a discussion about what, what, what questions and observations should we we think about in the next lesson. Got it. F fantastic. And then, and then from, from that, I, I then went away and planned a lesson around those uh, questions, the, the questions and the observations that we discussed at the end of the lesson. Yeah. 
Got it. And just one question before we move on to the where the where this sequence of lessons went to next. Just a, a question that came in on Twitter just this morning that I think is relevant here at this point, and right. that is, um, how how are you assessing kids' understanding at this point? So obviously you've 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 had I'm guessing you've had opportunity to kind of wander around the classroom and and see how kids are getting on. Is there any whole class assessment? opportunity at any stage here Andrew or are you are you kind of trusting firstly the kids to be honest and also the kind of observations you've made as this lesson's progressed uh well I'm, I'm assessing all the time and, yeah. and the questions and, and the observations allow me to assess the level of mathematical thinking around the particular topic implicit in the prompt uh the, the assessment uh, comes at the end of the process uh where they have to it's not really a storyboard, or um, but they have to uh, explain uh, and show their learning um, from the inquiry at the end of the process, and that 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 is how I assess what's happened in, in the inquiry and what they've understood and what they can now do. Got it. F fantastic. That, well, that happens at the end of the fifth lesson, or, or yes. the end of the inquiry. In this case, the fifth lesson. Yeah. Got it. This is fascinating, this, Andrew. So to pick us up here then from we're in between lessons one and two. What what have you what have you learned from lesson one and how does that inform your planning for what's going to happen in lesson two? Well, lesson one, I, I, I was satisfied. There were two students uh, who were still struggling with drawing a pie chart, the idea of the, the angles at the, at the centre and so on. So I knew that they would need more uh, practice in the next lesson. So I'd, I'd, I'd kind of bank that in my mind but I was I was satisfied that everyone else was uh, was capable of doing that so we went we went we moved on uh, and we focused on uh, whether the bar chart and the pie chart had come from the same data uh, and to, to, there was lots of discussion around that as I said and we moved on to decide if that was the case or not and just just a thing that I, I forgot to ask you um, before, Andrew, with this with with the pie chart, and I promise I know we keep going back to this during the pie chart. We will move on from this. Um, did you did you teach that using was that just kind of a traditional whether we call it explicit or direct instruction approach? Was that what you would term a kind of almost traditional bit of teaching within an inquiry? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it was I suppose if. if was interactive interactive teaching yes. that's explicit instruction then then it yes it was it was uh, you know from the front and, and me explaining and asking questions and thinking about misconceptions that might arise uh in my explanation so yeah but but the students uh hadn't necess necessarily asked for an instruction but they wanted to practice that procedure so uh they would you know there was motivation to listen because they knew that they they had requested to, to do that and therefore they needed to listen carefully which they did got it and this may be a, a bigger question that will take us off on a little tangent but i ju just wanted to ask it at this stage what is the what is the the logic or the rationale of having the inquiry first and then doing the teaching and then going back to the inquiry, if that makes sense, as opposed to you assessing whether the kids could could draw pie charts, then teaching them pie charts and then introducing the inquiry when they've got that knowledge, if that makes sense. Uh, well, it, it's very important for me that, that it's that way around, uh, because first of all, I'm assessing whether they need the instruction yes. and who needs the instruction. So we don't waste resources by giving instruction when we don't need to. Uh, but also for me, motivationally, uh, it draws students into the lesson. Uh, it's a hook. Um, 
and students are, 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 are more motivated to work harder as, as the inquiry goes on because we're, we're linking back to their observations and their questions. Got it. Got it. Got it. Right. So we're, we're at lesson two at this point. Now, this to me, um, just just from a teacher who's not experienced at delivering inquiries at all, this would seem like quite a difficult thing for, for a teacher to manage. This discussion about whether the pie chart um, and the bar chart come from the same data. So I wonder if you can just talk us through what are you doing as a teacher and what are the kids doing? What What's the structure of that part of the lesson, Andrew? Well, we, we discussed uh, why we thought they were or why or, or, uh, why they, we thought they were from the same set of data or, or why we didn't and how we could check that and uh, as a class we came to the idea that we needed to uh, scale or put a scale on the uh, on the bar chart and then then from that draw the pie chart to, to check whether they were from the same data and that that's that pathway is the one I I'd, I'd planned for and foreseen uh, I suppose I might have directed students towards that in a way uh, and so the lesson was spent uh, deciding if uh, resolving those, those issues and, and answering that question and and when you say kind of we as a class decided just in terms of the kind of practicalities behind that is it a case of just one-to-one -one, just put your hand up if you want to say something or is it right discussing a pair for 30 seconds and then let's share our findings how how are these discussions happening between the students and yourself uh well the, the, the start at the start of the lesson we we recap on the questions and the observations and students uh, uh well some students say that's my question and got quite territorial i remember over <laughs> what they'd said I don't. I don't normally write the, the names down of uh, students. Some inquiry teachers would write the names next to the, uh, the ideas, yes. uh, questions, but I don't, I don't necessarily do that. I mean, for me, they become public property. Uh, but some students are, are, are want want to be associated with their questions, and, yes. they, and, they, and they and they you know invest a lot in getting them answered and and getting other people to help them answer them. Uh, and I remember Katarina in this case <laughs> was, was insistent that I said that. Uh, so so we, we, we had a discussion about um, what, what the questions meant and how we would resolve them. Uh, and yeah, so the, the starter was, but this had been kind of foreseen, I suppose, at the end of the lesson before when we discussed where we would go next. Uh, so they were expecting this discussion uh, and they were expecting to, to resolve the questions that that we did got got it and you say um i mean I, I think you said something very interesting there andrew that you you'd kind of foreseen where this lesson two was going to go with with there's no scale on the bar chart and so on um and and that you almost um it, it came up in conversation but that maybe you directed the discussion that way so my, my first question there is what, what would happen if if that just didn't come up in in the conversation would would you go go to make the decision that you're going to direct direct the kids and say look we are going to study this or are you kind of experienced at this point to almost tease that out of them if that makes sense uh i mean if, if the prompt is set at the right level which is a, a, a skill in itself for, for yes. the teacher, if the prompt is set at the right level there's enough intrigue and interest generated uh for students to to comment uh and to bring out knowledge that they, they might have um, about the mathematical content of the prompts. So for me, uh, I, if there aren't any comments in question, that, that, that for me is a failure of me setting the wrong prompt in a way or, or, or giving them the wrong stimulus. 
to, to start the inquiry. So I suppose in my, going back to, <laughs> way back to one of your original questions about planning, yes. uh, now that I'm thinking uh, uh, more clearly, uh, what, what I would say is my planning is very much uh, centred around getting the right prompt and making sure the prompt has enough intrigue and interest because if it doesn't, you know, uh, the inquiry is, isn't, isn't going to grow and isn't going to develop right from the very start. So uh, I think that process is, is very important. And what I say when I run workshops is, is not to just take uh, a prompt off the shelf, as it were, off the website and give it to your class because it might not prove to be intriguing or interesting. Uh, students might be able to verify a statement very quickly and say, uh, there you are, so what is true. Um, so... That, in my planning is very much thinking about the nature of the class, the mathematical knowledge of the class, and then thinking about what prompt would, would intrigue them, would interest them, would, would lead to questions and, and observations. And that, um, so if I don't get anything, that's my failing. And then I have to just close everything down and run a, a very structured uh, series of lessons, I suppose. I'll try again in the next lesson with a different prompt. Got, got it. And you, you said that for, for lesson one, that if, um, if, it, if it turned out that kids were all pretty good when it came to drawing pie charts, you were willing to abandon um, that kind of element of that lesson. But for the lesson two, when it comes to um, get, kind of drawing the scales on these bar charts, uh, the bar chart and pie chart, was that something that was always going to happen, that lesson? Or would there have been something that could have stopped you uh, doing that? Well, it wasn't necessarily going to happen, uh, but as I said, I, I did structure this. Uh, the reason I've chosen this particular inquiry is because I structured the lessons quite carefully from from the comments and observations that students made. Um, it, it normally it, it's a kind of tra uh, traditional, I suppose, uh, pathway that, that this inquiry develops into. So you can foresee different pathways emerging that, uh, from from each prompt on the website. So uh, yeah. Got it. Fantastic. So can you keep talking us through this then, then Andrew? So is, is, is the majority of lesson two taken up with the discussion um, about whether the bar chart and the pie chart come from the same data? And what, what are the kids doing during this? Is anything getting written down? Are you providing them with any extra material on top? Well, what's happening for the rest of this lesson? Uh, they they, they uh, came up with different scales, which is quite interesting. So some measured it in millimetres, others uh, used different scales. Uh, and and then they drew the pie, the pie chart from those different, or they worked out the angles and drew uh, the pie chart uh, from from the, the bar charts the, from the frequencies, um, and they realised the pie chart wasn't the same, but they had whatever scale they chosen, they had all drawn the same pie chart. So that that was a kind of interesting discussion that we then had at, towards the end of that lesson. Why why is the pie chart always the same even though the scale is different? So. That that was a different. That was something I hadn't foreseen necessarily, um, but that again was an interesting discussion. And uh, the the other thing that's on my mind here, Andrew. So this is a mixed mixed attainment um, year seven class. Uh, yeah, I would say I would say the two students that uh, way back, uh, the two students that couldn't draw a pie chart from lesson one would, would, would have, have the materials and were, pra were practicing, but w within the context of the whole class drawing pie charts. Got, got it. And do, do, were there any students who were kind of steaming ahead at this stage? Um, and if so, what, what's kind of provided for those or, or do they help out other students? Uh, they don't help out other students. They, they, they might suggest to me, uh, I mean, I'm talking 
generally now. Um, yes. They might suggest to me other other pathways that they they would want to develop. Uh, so I, I, it doesn't. I know there's there's talk in in um, in the maths education world about uh, the advantages of students helping each other, and in an inquiry classroom. Uh, that that does tend to happen spontaneously, where yes. students, because there's a, a collaborative process and people are, are answering their own questions and each other's questions, uh, that, that that feeling of, of kind of mutual desire to know uh, leads to more collaboration, more helping. Um, and so I don't necessarily set that up, and I would never, I, personally, I don't require students to help someone else. Uh, but it does happen spontaneously uh, in, in men, on, on many occasions. Um, but, I, but I'm more interested. If someone's finished, I, I would say to them, when, "Okay, let's have a discussion about how where, where this could go mathematically. How could we extend this? Uh, what, what might we do next, and so on." Got it. F- fantastic. Well, c- can you talk us through, Andrew? Where do we go from here? So we're, we're kind of we're kind of two lessons, lessons in at this stage. Two, and and do you know do you know at this point that it's going to be five lessons, or is that just uh, no. something that <laughs> appears? No, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm 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 looking at um, uh, the questions and the comments. So at the end of the second lesson, we, we then we, we 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 thought right, okay, we understand bar charts, pie charts. We can interpret. We can uh, draw one from the other, and so on. So let's have a look at this this third diagram that looks very similar in terms of its correlation to what the bar chart looks like. Pictorially, it looks similar. Uh, let's see if this has come from the same data. And so we move on to this, the the, the um, scatter graph, and that that forms the the uh, core of the next lesson, lesson three. Got it. And am I right in saying, I mean, this this is my complete ignorance when it comes to the primary school curriculum, but have, have kids encountered scatter graphs um, well, formally well, at this I, stage? I, I, yeah, that was an interesting question because they called it a line graph, uh, but they didn't know that you were, uh, they did know about the line of best fit. They called it, the line, I don't know if this has come from a, a science lesson or another lesson, but they, they, or whether it came from primary school, but they, they did seem to have some knowledge, but the terminology was wrong. And the ability to predict the next result was quite interesting. So in the third lesson, I uh, decided on, on, a, on a starter. So I, I set up uh, a, a quite an organised starter. There wasn't, a, you know, like a free-for-all discussion, as it were. Uh, there, there was a traditional starter where I gave them a line graph and I gave them a scatter graph, and we had, we compared and contrasted and. We decided why one was a line graph and one was a scatter graph because I wanted to sort out that straight away, the differences. And also the scatter graph uh, that I chose to use in the starter, uh, the line of best fit went outside the range of the data and set up a, a ridiculous kind of statement that you could make from the line of best fit. I won't go into details, but it, was, it, was, it led to a very interesting compare and contrast discussion around... Uh, what a scatter, what you can do with a scatter graph and the differences with the line graph. So I wanted, so, so in terms of knowledge, which is another big subject at the moment, I wanted them to, to be clear about the differences. Got it. And I mean, you, you say kind of that's a traditional starter, but 
compared to traditional starters that I see or, or that I hear teachers on this podcast talk about, that's still um, quite open ended, quite discussion focused, quite student led almost. So okay, when, I, when I say tradition, I mean there was a starter. <laughs> in, in, you know, if, 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 if someone had walked in, they would say, right, this is the starter. I can see a starter. Right. Which you know, sometimes when we're discussing. Uh, well, that would still start. We always says we start to sure. listen, but it's it, that that is even more open, I would say. Got it. Got yeah. it. And and. It- and again, because I'm always fascinated in, in just the practicalities of how these things are run, that's still um, kind of uh, the images of the, the scatter graph and the line graph on the board. And it, it's kids discussing in pairs, is it? And then uh, discussing in pairs uh, uh, and then and then feeding back in pairs again about what they notice. So, again, it, it's noticing and questioning and, and thinking about um, uh, where, where we've got this from. Uh, we're trying to resolve some of the things that they've said. Um previously at the first in the first lesson but it is uh it's, it's coming from them and me, and me directing and prompting and organizing responses and, and so on and, and 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 what i'll do is i won't i won't necessarily go around in any fixed order but hopefully i'll build up a construction or we'll construct together an understanding and we'll go around the class uh starting with with students that might have sort of more rudimentary comments to students that that might be saying more sophisticated uh, things uh, and that so up and that won't necessarily be the same each time so i need again i need knowledge of, of, of students uh, and what they're going to say but that that's my general approach for something like this i'll, I'll try and construct uh, an understanding from a rudimentary to a sophisticated understanding got, got it and again we, we need to remind listeners this is a mixed attainment year seven class Absolutely. and I, I wonder um is the have you um, paired the kids up in any strategic way here is it a case of high attainment sat with low attainment or what what's the way the kids are, are uh, seated and paired well again um i know i know there's, there's various theories around this and and mixed attainment teachers would do that i i tend to let students sit sit where they want and as long yes. as they they cooperate and, and learn uh then they can stay sat where they are. I, I res- I, at the beginning of the year, as I will say in, in a few days' time, uh, I reserve the right to move you. Uh, yes. But at the moment, you know, I trust you. So, it, I, I mean, I say things like that from, from the very first moment. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably a very different approach to some of your listeners, but that, that, that's, what, that's what I've done over my career. Got it. Fantastic. So we're, we're, we're mid-lesson three here. We've had the uh, discussion about the line graph and the scatter graph and, and the dangers of extrapolating from uh, lines of best fit outside the data and so on. Yeah. Well, where are we going from there, Andrew? Uh, okay, so I think in that lesson, um, uh, we, we, we were uncertain about scatter graphs. And uh, I think from my memory, we had uh, different activities that students could choose. So at the most basic level... There was uh, draw a, a scatter graph uh, and draw a line of best fit, and then 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 kind of um, ha, read off the, uh, values from the different act, the two axes. Um, other others went on to uh, interpret scatter graphs and and to do some more sophisticated reasoning around scatter graphs that I gave them. So again, now that that is a very structured and prepared lesson. There's there's, there's choice in how you proceed. Uh, but nevertheless, the, the activities were provided by me. So the, the, there wasn't really you know, an independent inquiry pathway developing. I was structuring it around the questions that they'd asked. Got it. Got it. And it, it's fair to say then that lesson three was predominantly about scatter graphs. Exactly. Is that right? Exactly. 
Got it. Fantastic. So what happens next? I'm, I'm hooked here, by the way, Andrew. <laughs> hooked in, hooked in. Well, let, 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 lesson uh, four, uh, we went back to Zainab's question, which is the best diagram to use for different data. Uh, and uh, again, I had quite a, a matching starter. I created the starter and I wanted, uh, I didn't think the level of mathematical um, vocabulary was, was high enough. Uh, so we started with um, definitions of, of, of terms related to, to statistical diagrams. So uh, univariate data, bivariate data, correlation, quantitative, qualitative, and so on. And we had to match. We had to think about those, what they might mean. And what uh, we did have a preliminary discussion about what they might mean. And then the, the starter was let, let, let's match that data to or those, those terms to the three diagrams that we started with. So we're still working with the prompt, and this is the beginning of lesson four, and the, they get the prompt and they get the data and they have to think what term, uh, sorry, they get the, the prompt and the terms and they think what term relates to what what um, diagram. Got it. Fantastic. Again, that... again, again I've, I've structured that. I mean, you know, a lot of inquiry teachers would be, would be thinking, hold on, uh, this, is, this is, you know, perhaps at the extreme end of, of structured inquiry. So um, yeah. No, 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 no. This this is perfect, this Andrew. And so after this matching activity, is that when we're going to to Zainab's question about the um, the most appropriate uh, kind of uh, statistical uh, statistical representation, exactly. and, and how and how do you facilitate that discussion? Well, again, I, I I've given them, I give them seven contexts, uh, and I ask them to to, to uh, talk about what kind of to answer questions about what kind of data. Uh, it is so I don't know um, where we got the frequency of lorries and cars that pass the school between eight and four in one day in the week what kind of data would you collect and how would you represent that and they have to justify uh, what diagram they would use and, and, and use some of the terms that we talked about at the beginning of the lesson I would say this by this time some students are saying hold on hold on um, we use the cards uh, and they said that we would we would rather practice the procedure rather than go to this this final stage of, of I think deep deep mathematical reasoning for year seven let let us consolidate a skill that we still might not might not be certain about and so there were options for students to, to if they chose the card for example practice procedure uh, there were opportunities for them to, to say hold on I, I, I'm going to leave say now and friends to, to sort this question out and report back to us and I, I need to do something else at this point in, in lesson four. Right and at that stage you would have some whether it be a worksheet or a set of questions where they could practice whatever they needed to practice. Uh, yeah but generally I would say why don't you uh, why don't you look back at what we've done before and and you you, you construct something but I did I did have and if, if it was necessary then I gave it I gave a worksheet or something out but if they, if they, I'd rather they, they were more creative than that at that stage, and they said, right, actually, okay, I can, I can collect very quickly some data from ten people, and I, I will create something myself. Flipping it, right? Okay, so this, and again, because I know this is one big thing for you throughout these inquiries, Andrew, that a lot of the responsibility for, for kind of determining the direction of the lesson rests upon, rests upon the students, and it's even the case that you want them to take responsibility even if they're kind of stepping aside from the inquiry temporarily to, to work on a procedure you still want the onus to be on them to well, decide by, what they want to do yeah by that stage i mean we were four lessons yes. into this and and, and we we've done some 
um, systematic practice. Uh, and 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 really, if if they chose to do that, uh, a higher order skill is is for them to to develop the the data, whatever whichever field of maths we're in, um, to develop that for them to then practice to use to practice with. So that yeah yeah, I'm making higher demands on them than just do that. Yes. Got, got it. Fantastic. And then, so are we now at the stage where the inquiry by the end of lesson four um, is essentially finished? And it, is it the case that it's a whole class discussion that's focused on Zainab's question? And are, is, is everyone involved here, even the students who have dis- chosen to work on procedures? Exactly. Exactly. And and Zainab would probably have a leading role in, in or did have a leading role in, in, in that final discussion because that, that it came from her and and that she got the due acknowledgement for that that excellent question got it fantastic and that question andrew because obviously like the whole of lesson four for for, for many of the students has been uh, dedicated towards working towards um this this question from zainab about the most appropriate representation is that a question that you were determined was going to come out through this inquiry And, and if necessary would you have brought it out yourself uh, yes, uh, I th- well, as soon as it was asked, I thought that I said, "What a wonderful question!" I remember saying that. I was I was very very pleased that that came out. Uh, but as I, I go back to the point that this is this has been very structured by me around the questions. The questions were such high quality in a way, and and fell into uh, certain categories that I felt that the, the best way to proceed was to was to structure the inquiry around uh, themes of observation yes. questions. Yeah. Got it. Fantastic. And um, how does it end then, uh, Andrew? What's what's well, lesson I five? I can't. I, I can't remember. For some reason, we didn't have a full lesson. Uh, right. I do, I do remember that. Uh, you know, the, the typical things that go on <laughs> in schools. Uh, and um, there's a, a sheet. Uh, interestingly, another teacher, um, Emma Morgan, if I'm not mistaken, who was in. I'm going to. I'm going to mess this up. Kuala uh, Lumpur. I can't remember. Anyway, she. She. She said, hold on, this is great, that you're, you know, the inquiry maths, uh, the model, I like that, but there's no there's no way to finish this. And she came up with something she called a guided poster, which I, I've uh, incorporated into a lot of inquiries that I do now. Uh, and after her, I call it a guided poster. And so, it, it, it's, as I said earlier, it's like a storyboard uh, where we go through the different phases that, of the inquiry. You can't necessarily create generic ones because inquiries might go in different directions. Uh, but there'll always be, you know, what question did I ask or what question was I impressed by? Uh, there's a section in this inquiry I learned about. Uh, and then they have to show the skills that they developed. So they had to draw a pie chart, uh, interpret a scatter graph. Uh, and then the final section, which diagram is the best one to use for different data, they had to, to, to talk about that if they could. And they do that individually. Uh, and that, that's the result of the inquiry that I then assess. So in, in most inquiries, I, I would do I would use this guided poster that, that Emma created, yeah. Got it, and in, in terms of assessment, Andrew, what are we talking there, a mark out a 10, a level? How are you assessing? Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not giving a mark out of 10. And I, I, it's a skills-based assessment, I suppose, and a concept-based assessment around what, what, they, what they can write and, and what they can do uh, on the sheet and what they've got from the inquiry. 
So it's kind of again, just just so I can get my head around this. There's no, um, is it purely comments, or are you um, are you breaking it down into skills, concepts, uh, and, and any other yeah, categories? I, I, I would say um, within the department we have uh, we have regular assessments. Uh, so once every half term we would have a, an assessment, which is uh, broken into uh, fluency, problem solving, and reasoning questions. Um, and the the work on the or the inquiry that they've done would, would normally lead into kind of the the reasoning part of, of those assessments uh, and fluency, not necessarily problem solving so much. Um, and the formal assessment comes at the end of the half term. So this right. is this is a kind of uh, provisional assessment based on on what they've learned from the inquiry. So there's there's, there's not a grade or a mark. But I, I get, I, I can see what skills and concepts that they, they've developed in that time. Got it. Fantastic. And um, I've about a million other questions about digging into the process of inquiries and to ask you, Andrew. But I wonder, just just before we move on to that, and I, I love asking my guests this, and my guests sometimes hate answering this. Oh, right. But, <laughs> but I wonder if you, I wonder if you could um, talk us through a lesson, and ideally an inquiry lesson. It doesn't need to be um, just just something that didn't go um, as as you intended it to, and crucially, what what you learned from it. Uh, well, when I when I run workshops, uh, well, that, one one lesson I, I remember, I was being filmed an inquiry lesson. Actually, I was being filmed, uh, and I this was very very early on before I'd, I'd got the website or even got to hear a model of inquiry learning, um, and I don't think I even called it inquiry mass at that point. Uh, and I said to the class, um, has anyone got any? I don't know, what, what shall we do now? We'd, we'd had some questions and we'd had some observations. I said, what shall we do now? And there was total silence. <laughs> uh, there was, they, they just looked at me and, you tell us, you're the teacher. Um, and from I, I, I've never forgotten that moment um, because students don't, obviously don't know what to do. Well, they know what to do within in the confines of their normal experiences of, of education and of schooling, which is the teacher tells us what to do. Uh, so when the teacher says, what should we do now? They, they're, they're aghast in a way uh, and, and have no idea. And that's, for me, um, that's why I think the, card, the cards are some kind of mechanism for you to be able to enter into discussion with students about what to do in a productive way is very important uh, in inquiry lessons and, and open learning in general. And uh, I did from that. I, I thought long and hard and developed the cards from that, from that that experience of students <laughs> staring blankly at me. Uh, <laughs> that 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 for me, I don't think that was necessarily a failure. It was just um, me me overestimating uh, students' ability to think independently uh, from the schooling that they'd had up to that moment. Um, I've I've heard of horror stories of, of, of teachers. Uh, t two actually um, of top sets handing out a prompt and handing out the cards and expecting students to be able to inquire independently without any direction or any uh, development towards that that moment and students just sitting there saying uh, we have no idea what we're doing uh, and then becoming quite defensive and anxious and, and, and the lesson deteriorating into a kind of a difficult atmosphere even even well-behaved, top-set students 
uh, don't have independent inquiry skills and, and they need to be taught those skills and they need to go through a structured, guided, open process uh, before they can develop independent learning skills. So for me, though, though, the, the stories of those two lessons, one, one of which I observed uh, and another one uh, a teacher said in a workshop, what's all this about? You know, I've tried it and it's all rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> So that, 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 those are interesting insights from, from teachers that had gone for open inquiry straight away because they had uh, classes in upper secondary, year 10 and year 11 in those two cases, and they had top sets, and they assumed that if you gave someone a, a mathematical stimulus, a prompt, an inquiry math prompt, they would be able to work with it independently. That is, that is not the case and never the case in my experience, and in fact... Uh, top set students become more anxious because they've succeeded in very traditional lessons and they've answered their 20 questions successfully and walked away thinking, yeah, they've learned, you know, mathematics. Uh, and so when you give them uh, an open inquiry situation, they become more anxious than uh, cl classes in, in inverted commas, lower sets, in my experience. So uh, for me, uh, personally, it was that, that moment uh, when I was being filmed when suddenly there were 30 pairs of eyes looking at me and, and, and you know and, and me thinking what am I going to do now <laughs> uh, and and then observing um, an NQT uh, well sorry a PGC student actually in one case and hearing the story from another teacher in a workshop a very very similar story um, I, I learned from that, that that it doesn't matter what what set a student is in Inquiry processes are not part of everyday schooling in, in our state system, unfortunately. Uh, and, and inquiry need, needs to develop, in, possibly in a very slow process, going through structured, guided, open. And open is, might be the end of a five-year process. Uh, and only when we get to year 11 can we see self-motivated, self-directed, self-regulated students who, who need very little input from the teacher. Got it. Fantastic. There you go. I like that answer. <laughs> 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 okay, Andrew. So I noticed that inquiries often get lumped in alongside discovery learning and project-based learning. But I wonder, are they the same thing or are, are there some key differences in your opinion? Uh, well, in my opinion, they're, they're, they are different forms of learning. Um, I, know, I know there's this idea that, that inquiry, uh, discovery... Uh, project-based learning can, can all come under the umbrella of, of minimal guidance uh, and if you put them under the, the term minimal guidance then then we can criticize them all, all as the same uh, for me I mean discovery has a, a long tradition in math teaching um, through investigations mainly I would I would maintain uh, inquiry less so and project-based learning uh, not, not, not so much in secondary schools, uh, maybe in the, in the International Baccalaureate around the PYP, well, not even, even the PYP, MYP, middle years program, primary years program, I don't think project-based learning is necessarily the, 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 the most uh, prominent form of teaching maths. Um, but discovery learning does have a long tradition in this, in this country, as I, as, as I would define it, and, and, and the um, low... Hold on. Low threshold, high ceiling tasks, uh, to me, are often kind of related to um, a discovery-based approach, whereby 
you would draw some diagrams. I think I've written a blog about a uh, poster uh, on the website, and I used the example of Pythagoras' theorem. So to discover, in inverted commas, Pythagoras' theorem, students would be expected to draw squares on the, on the sides of right-angled triangles, work out their areas, and discover that the areas of the two short sides, uh, or the, the squares on the two short sides, uh, sum to the area of the, which I hadn't started, is the square on the hypotenuse. <laughs> sure. Uh, and for me, there, there, there are some issues around what happens if, if, if students don't make that discovery, uh, uh, what happens if one student makes the discovery and then the teacher has to protect the discovery uh, from, from other students so that they, they can have the same experience. Uh, and, and for me, uh, often the teacher is put in a position of withholding knowledge until the discovery is made. Uh, and and, and that, that to me isn't a productive relationship between student and teacher. Uh, in inquiry, uh, you would use Pythagoras' theorem to explore a prompt, a mathematical stimulus. Uh, and the knowledge isn't withheld. The knowledge is, is fundamental on, on, on the process of inquiring into that mathematical situation. And if students uh, ask, if they say, look, I think there's a connection between this, this, and this from, from the diagram that you've just given us, or is there a, 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 a connection? Uh, and then they choose a card which asks the teacher to instruct, uh, for example, then the teacher then would explain Pythagoras' theory in an interactive way, as I described before. So it's not about withholding knowledge, it's about going on a, a journey uh, of exploration where we develop our mathematical reasoning and our mathematical instincts as well uh, through that inquiry process. There, at the end process, is we've answered our questions, we've, we've uh, noticed things, and we've consolidated our, our learning. Um, and it's not, I have discovered that, which the teacher wanted me to discover, you know, two lessons ago and, and was discovered years ago. That, that knowledge is, is open for the teacher to, to, to tell the students, you know, this is, this, is, this is what we need to make progress in this inquiry. And... Given that, Andrew, do you, do you use discovery learning at all, or is it all inquiry? Uh, I would prefer to use inquiry. I, I used to, in, in my early career, I used um, investigations, uh, which might loosely be termed discovery, uh, a lot. And I got into into some difficult situations. And, and also, I would be having a lot of individual discussions with students um, about where they were in, in their discovery process and how well they've drawn the squares on the, on the sides of the right-angled triangles and so on. And really, there wasn't much communica mathematical communication in the classroom, and inquiry sets up a situation where it's a collaborative process uh, and students want to find out for each other at, at the top end of the inquiry process. So for me, uh, I like inquiry. I, I would characterize inquiry very differently from discovery, and I would, and I, I would prefer, I do prefer, and do, teach through inquiry more than discovery I, I teach through inquiry not discovery got it F fantastic and what do you make Andrew of the there seems to have been a recent surge in interest in educational research and particularly cognitive load theory and it's led to a lot of discussion some of it positive some of it downright stupid um, on Twitter but what what do you make of that this recent surge in, in, in interest and what it's meant for people's perception of inquiries have you noticed a difference in the way people are uh, reacting at workshops or engaging on Twitter uh, well 
Well, certainly not at workshops. Uh, the workshops I run, they, they, they come because it is an inquiry session. Yes. Uh, and uh, on, on Twitter, uh, I mean, it, <laughs> fundamentally, uh, the people that, that, that um, use cognitive load theory or, or memory-based uh, ideas, uh, they have a, a, a different philosophy of education. And they have different uh, definitions and, and values within education, and uh, different aims in education, I think. Uh, and therefore, it's, it's difficult sometimes to discuss. I would say, and, and it's, it's, it's not fashionable at the moment, but there's lots of evidence and lots of research around inquiry-based learning, uh, which is getting, well, not hidden necessarily, but it isn't, isn't to the fore. Often, often, in my, I mean, I've, I've done a master's, I've just um, very, very nearly completed a PhD, so I'm enmeshed in, the, in, in research and the research world, uh, and for me, uh, research, the current flavours of research isn't just about uh, the message in the research, it's about there are political messages, there are, there are commercial interests involved, uh, and, and therefore, the research that, that shows what inquiry can do, uh, is is not uh, getting a public hearing as much as perhaps some some research that, that is against inquiry. Got got it. And I know this is this is going to be an impossible question to to answer, Andrew. I'm but have a go. <laughs> um, I wonder because I think I've I've kind of got my head round certainly cognitive load theory and having interviewed um, Robert Elizabeth Bjork about the memory side of things. But from your perspective, I wonder if you could summarise as briefly as possible, Andrew. How do you think students think, learn, and remember, or what 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 are the differences in your perception of it compared to those theories? Say that again. How they remember? Think, think, learn, and remember. Do you have do you have a different take on it than, than say, cognitive load theory or, or Bjork's theory of disuse? Uh, well, I, I mean, I can t- I can talk for, for uh, my kind of psychological the approach that I would would uh, take psychologically how students think and and the kind of thinking that I want them to develop in a maths lesson. Uh, and that that is uh, around conceptual understanding and and creating schemas or networks, um, as Skemp called them, um, around concepts and linking them with other concepts. And I want to create opportunities where processes, um, principles, uh, concepts, facts in inverted commas uh, are, are linked together in some way uh, through the practices that occur in the classroom um, and for me the strength of those connections uh, in, the, in the mind are, are the most important thing not what I bank in long-term memory uh, uh, which might be isolated and, and, and uh, separate from from other other ideas and other concepts I, I, I want students to be able to link them up uh, and I want to create situations in classrooms which lead into that so uh, again, if I if I've got uh, so, this, oh, sorry, sorry, Craig. No, please, so, please, so, don't so, uh, You know, in in a way, there's a different philosophy of education, a different understanding of, of psychology, uh, and it, it, I mean, it's a very recent field, cog- cognitive theory, and it's changing all the time. And, and new new discoveries about the mind, how the mind works, how memory works, are, are, are being made all the time. And and it is an exciting field, uh, but it, it it is one field. And when when you take it into Education, in my view, uh, you start the, the picture that you get is of, of an information processing kind of uh, philosophy, uh, whereby the brain operates almost like a computer, uh, and 
we need to save something there and save something else there. Um, and that's that's a very for me that's a very crude model of the mind. And and as as we understand the mind more and memory more, I think the picture is going to change you know, hugely in the next well certainly in the next century and within the next ten years. And as as far as I understand cognitive load theory, um, Andrew, and this this will be a ridiculously no doubt flawed and simplified take on it, but it's it's very much concerned with the limits of of working memory. And the argument would be that in order to do the higher kind of level thought processes that are required to solve more complex problems, the kind of problems and questions students would be asked to consider during an inquiry, that they first need that fundamental knowledge stored and accessible in long-term memory and those processes automated so that it can free up capacity in their limited working memories in order for them to be able to solve these more complex problems. So therefore, often the the procedural understanding or, or the ability to carry out procedures needs to precede this conceptual understanding and, and this ability to solve problems. Now, is that kind of something you would fundamentally disagree with? Well, I've just written a, a post on, on, on the Enquirimas website, um, which uh, cites some, some research that shows if you uh, learn procedures before uh, con- uh, developing a conceptual understanding, the, the, the procedures, uh, learning the procedures in that order actually blocks the development of a conceptual understanding. Uh, so, I mean, there's research both ways, I suppose. It's, it's tricky, isn't it, Andrew? Because this is, I almost wish that all the research just agreed with each other so we could decide well, which, which mean, way I, to go. The, the, the thing about research is if you read a research paper, uh, often it, it is very nuanced. Uh, and, and researchers very rarely say, OK, this is a nuanced paper. Uh, and this is what you should do. Well, they, and then very rarely take the next step, which is this is this is what it would look like in classrooms. I mean, yes. there are some fine exceptions. Uh, the iCams project, uh, for example, uh, develops uh, classroom materials and, and talks about pedagogy, uh, and that cat comes out some uh, some very high level research. Um, so. You can you can read the papers. You can ignore the nuance. You can take from what you what you want, and you can confirm your your values about education and your beliefs about education. Uh, so it, it, the, the interface between research and uh, what goes on in classrooms, which is absolutely fundamental to to, to me and my whole career, you know, is a very difficult question. Uh, yeah. So I, in terms of. Um, the cognitive load theory. I mean, I'm certainly not an expert, and and and, and don't claim to be, an, and have not read, read very much about it. But I have read posts that, that question its validity and, and and the research evidence behind it. Um, you know, I'm I, I, I I'm not I'm not um, um, qualified to say one way or the other. Uh, I, I have an open mind, I have an inquiring mind, uh, <laughs> and, and and I look at nuance. Interestingly, <laughs> uh, Joe Bowler wrote a paper about. Um, uh, fear and fluency. I can't remember exactly the title. Uh, and recently, I read a post by someone, a very, very um, scholarly post, where the person had taken taken the, the references that Bowler cited in favour of developing a number sense over uh, memorisation. Um, she t- she termed it number sense. Uh, and the person had taken, uh, or the writer had taken each each reference and basically uh, argued the exact opposite uh, <laughs> to what Bowler had said, and, and said that Bowler had interpreted the papers 
it, 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 in the completely wrong way. Uh, so that that for me uh, it shows that within within research papers there, there's nuance and, and and we need a far more open uh, discussion rather than what you refer to Twitter. What happens on Twitter is is, is people say right, uh, I believe this uh, and you're wrong, uh, and there's no communication. Uh, and and for me that that's why I've kind of pulled back a bit from from Twitter in terms of, of discussion and debate. It's not the forum to have high-level pedagogical discussions with. It, it, it's a forum for showing, in my view, for showing what goes on in classrooms. If people would, would show me what when they talk about cognitive load theory, when they talk about memorization, if they, if they actually um, showed me what that looks like in a classroom, can I have some work posted? Can I have some pictures of classrooms posted? Then, then for me, I can I can get I can get more of a picture. And as a practitioner, I can engage I can engage with that. I, I've read lots of research around inquiry. I've had to have to, to soon to get a PhD in, in that. Um, I mean, I, 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 I there's a, a very uh, um, august and well respected uh, international journal of mathematics education that dedicated a whole volume to inquiry teaching. And one of the papers or one of the pieces in there, started with uh, a statement that said the evidence in favour of inquiry learning is so overwhelming that we're not, <laughs> we're not even going to start there, we're going to start with how to implement it. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a step too, probably a bit too far and I think any, um, any approach to teaching we always have to justify and we always have to develop uh, research around and, and, and try to convince other people. So that. Uh, you know that was a bit of a blasé uh, approach to take, which I don't agree with. But nevertheless, you know, respected academics were felt able to say that. So, it, it, you know, there, there's 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 uh, august research for both sides. And you mentioned, Andrew, that that whilst the approaches to teaching are different from inquiry to to explicit instruction or whatever we want to call it, also the the underlying philosophy of education is different. Can you just expand on that a little bit? What? Uh, okay. Well, well, for me, um, if if you're talking about explicit instruction, if you're talking about direct instruction, you're talking about what the teacher does. Uh, and, and for me, in that approach. Um, you are focusing on what the teacher transmits. Um, whereas for me, as an inquiry teacher, I am far more interested, uh, and I define my philosophy of education through, through what students are thinking. Uh, and I have certain aims in, in, in education, or in mathematics education, that are related directly to the forms of thought that, that, that students are developing, not what I'm saying or doing, or transmitting, or the order I transmit it in, or uh, any, any of those considerations. So when, when we talk about different philosophies, I mean, I, I have whole, whole different aims, and my aims relate to students' thinking and reasoning, and, and not to uh, the nature or the role of, of the teacher. So, yeah, I, I think there's big differences, um, and, and the, the more we clarify those differences, philosophical differences, the, the, the more the research will become clearer. I'm not saying I, I, I reject memory-based research in any sense at all, or I want to argue against it. Um, I, I, as I said to you in the last interview, in, in fact, uh, I, I'm, I'm a researcher, I'm an inquirer, I, I, I want to discuss. I don't want to discuss if someone starts the discussion by saying, I'm wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
And I wonder, Andrew, because again, I, this, and I hope you don't mind talking more about this, because this 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 fascinates me, and I'm I'm very much aware that having having had Chris Bolton and and Greg Ashman um, as previous guests, and they're very much in favour of explicit instruction. I really want to make sure we we get kind of both sides of the argument here. So. I wonder, first, if I could ask you, how do you decide which topics you will cover via inquiries or via a more explicit instruction or traditional method? Uh, well, I mean, I, I would try and cover any, every to- I, I think it's possible to cover every topic through inquiry. And the, the IB program, which a lot of international schools uh, would use, uh, the whole approach is an inquiry-based approach. And I, I, I don't think necessarily that it's easy in state schools um to to develop inquiry in, with very very large classes and and we're getting larger classes all the time at the moment um but within within the IB program uh the inquiry is is used through, throughout mathematics education so it is po- it is possible to to teach maths through inquiry only but but within within that the, the teacher is is the resource is is the representative of a culture of mathematics, and it's not discovery. So the, the teacher isn't there to withhold information. The teacher is is there to to uh, as a perhaps as a partner to develop the inquiry process. Uh, and if if the teacher has knowledge that students request and and, and identify that they need, the, t- the teacher then enters into discussion with the student and 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 gives that knowledge. I mean, just just to play devil's advocate on, on this, Andrew. Um, what what's the argument against the fact that to take to take the lesson that you described before with the pie chart? So you you had knowledge of how to how um, to to construct pie charts accurately, and some of the students didn't have knowledge, and you waited until they realised that they lacked that knowledge and requested it from you. So again, can you just clarify what what's the argument against you as the expert teacher knowing that that's a fundamental skill, knowing how to explain it to the students, and and just explaining that to them without almost running the risk of them not realizing that they need it because that seems quite it's quite a lot of responsibility placed on the shoulders of kids to who are kind of novice learners to require to to realize what their deficiencies are and request it from you their teacher as opposed to you realizing it and and teaching it them first i don't know if that makes sense uh i mean i mean inquiry the inquiry processes research has shown that students that learn through inquiry uh are more motivated to learn maths, uh, go on to study maths uh, more often at university, um, and there, therefore, that that pro- within the inquiry maths model, that that uh, process, initial process in, in inquiry of getting questions and, and observations and trying to stimulate uh, questions and observations, is very important uh, for me motivationally, because that around from that students develop a desire to uh, to learn and to be able to answer the questions that they pose so that that is a very important um, process for me and it also allows me to assess where the class is at it's a form of assessment where I can de- determine and students have a role in it but they don't necessarily get uh, the final say or all the say certainly not in, in the initial few months of inquiry um, I, I, I would then um, I forgot what I was saying, Craig. What was I saying? Sorry, mate. Sorry, sorry. I just forgot. I completely forgot. What was the question? No, no, no. So I was just wondering about the the responsibility being on the kids to request ah. the knowledge from from you. 
Yeah, I, I mean, for, for me, uh, if I can, if I can develop that skill, or, or, or if I can, if, if I can, uh, through inquiry, they can develop that skill. Um, that is the key skill that the students need when they leave education. They need to know how to find out what they need to find out. So um, they, that that is a, a skill that's required at university. Universities tell us, secondary schools, that we're turning out kids that can't research, that can't work independently, um, and this is a way of, of getting students to, to think about what they know, what how, how and how to go about finding out things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you see, this is the difference. For me, that is absolutely fundamental. That's the fundamental role of education. Students uh, learn how to learn, essentially. Uh, and, and, and they learn they learn maths at the same time, and they also learn how to learn maths. Uh, and, and that, for me, is a, is a key priority. Not, not necessarily to get things into memory uh, in a certain order, but for them to... Uh, have the desire and motivation and be able to regulate themselves to, to go out and, and, and find out knowledge that they identify that they need. It's, it's difficult, isn't it, though, Andrew? Because I guess the counter-argument to that is that students don't know what they don't know. So I, I, oh, well, they do, they, okay, they know when they've, they've, they've hit a block. They right. know when they've hit a block. They know, they know when they don't understand something. They, and, I, and I can see that through their questioning and through their observations as well. So... It, 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 well, this is this is the skill and the craft of teaching, uh, the art of teaching in a way, where where we are continually continually on that boundary as a class between what you know and what you don't know. What what, what are we going to learn today that is productive? And and that that skill of teaching, is, and that, some people call it an art, uh, is, is what we're losing at the moment. Um, and that that's what the inquiry approach gives you. It, it, it gives the, the teacher. The opportunity to work on that line between what I don't know or what the students don't know and what they do know. And the more information we get about where that line is, the, the better uh, our teaching will be and the better the progress of the students. Got it. Now, the, the one of the kind of classic uh, papers that is kind of pro-explicit instruction and, and anti-non-explicit instruction, and you, you referenced it yourself, um, is the, the one about why minimal um, guidance under instruction doesn't work. But even, and we've discussed this many a time on, on, on this podcast, but even that paper, and this is what I find particularly interesting about what you've said already, Andrew, that paper would, would make the point that novice learners learn best from explicit instruction, whereas the more expert you become in a given domain, the more you benefit from less uh, guided forms of instruction but the point you almost seem to make earlier on in in the podcast was that um it's often sometimes the more expert the students are these year 11 or year 10 top set students who particularly struggle with this less guided form of instruction the inquiry-based learning so do, do, do the authors of that paper have a point that, it, that novice learners learn best from explicit, whereas more experts learn from less guided instruction? Or is it in fact the opposite way around? Or does everybody learn best from inquiries? Uh, okay, I'm going to go with the latter one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might. Go on, convince, convince, convince. I'm going to go with the last one. Um, uh, okay, that, that paper, I mean, I've read that paper a number of times, uh, and it conflates different different approaches to, to make its point. Um, novice, novice expert, I don't, I, again, you see, because I've got a different philosophy of learning, I wouldn't necessarily even recognise those terms. 
in an inquiry lesson, we're all learners. In, 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 in those terms, we're all novices. Uh, and we're trying to improve ourselves and better ourselves and learn more. So, uh, you know, I, 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 have, I struggle with the term um, novice uh, and expert. And what I say to people who use those terms is, at what point do you become an expert? At what point can I actually uh, uh, use your expertise to, to do some interesting reasoning uh, in, in my mathematics lesson. And one person I talked to recently, who was a guest on your show, said, we become experts in the field uh, when we've done a master's. And, and I'm thinking, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Does that mean I can't do any inquiry or any open learning uh, or any, any kind of reasoning-based learning, which involves some creative activity on the part of the students, uh, where they generate some, some maths for themselves. Can I not, can I not do that until master, master's level? So my question is, when, when, when are students expert? At what point? Where is that line? And, and I, I, I've never had a, a satisfactory, well, in my opinion, a, a satisfactory answer to that question. And, and it's a very unhelpful distinction to make, uh, because if you view a student as expert, okay, does that mean in that particular field of maths, learning has stopped, uh, we've, we've achieved, achieved what we needed to achieve and that's it, and now we move on somewhere else. Uh, that to me is a very unhelpful distinction, uh, and, and for me, uh, we are all learners, we are all inquirers, uh, and we can reason, and we can um, develop our fluency, and we can problem solve at, at, at any level, and, and the teacher is there to support that process. Uh, so, so to me again, I'm on a different plane <laughs> <laughs> philosophically, and, and and those aren't terms that that I find helpful in education. So, well, can, it, can I? Oh yeah, go on. Yeah, can I ask Andrew? And again, this because um, I, I kind of see myself somewhere in the in the middle between um, um, the the kind of two, uh, maybe yourself and Chris Bolton, or yourself yourself and Greg Ashman. And if I can just kind of put my my take on this this novice expert thing, and I wonder wonder what your response to this would be. So if we take something like um, adding fractions, something like that. Now I would before I did any kind of inquiry or investigation involving adding fractions, I would want students to have demonstrated some form of competency when it comes to adding fractions together. Now I would want them to be able to, if I presented them with one third plus two fifths, I would hope that they could add those two fractions together. If why, they could, why, if why, they, why, oh so, why, sorry why, Andrew, why, sorry, no, I'll, ju I'll just, why would you want competency then to demonstrate competency? Right. So, so I'll just, I'll, I'll finish, I'll finish my oh, argument. Yeah, so, no, 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 you're <laughs> right. No, I inter I've interrupted you plenty of times. Don't no, worry, no, don't worry, don't worry. So if, if they could add one third plus two fifths together and get the yeah. right answer, I would think to myself, right, okay, the basics are in place. Now, what can I do with this? So that is when I may turn to some kind of enrich problem or some, one of your inquiries and think, right, let's put, let's take that skill that they've got and let's take it somewhere interesting let's go deep with this as opposed to what I wouldn't want to do is for them to learn that skill within the context of a more challenging investigation or inquiry my rationale being that it's too too much for them it's too much for them to learn the basics and the higher order skills at the same time and in the end you risk learning neither of them so that that would be my argument Okay, well, when, yeah, I mean, let's take an inquiry based around adding fractions. Then. Sure. Um, a student isn't isn't thinking about uh, the pathways through the inquiry at the same time 
that they're they're asking for an explanation or receiving an explanation about how to add fractions. So it's, it's, it's not a question of it's all going on at the same time, because that, that's not possible in our minds. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's, it's structured in a way, an inquiry would be structured in a way whereby if students could, couldn't add fractions. But I would, the, 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 the beauty, from my point of view, the advantage, let's say, of an inquiry is that I would find that out in, in the initial phase of the inquiry. I would find that out through their questioning, uh, through their observations and so on, and I would be able to determine whether they actually needed that instruction or who needed it, and, and it wouldn't necessarily be a blanket process. If it was a blanket process, I, I would expect students to say to me through the cards that I give them that they needed uh, me to explain something. Uh, and from that, I would then go on and, and give an extra interactive explanation with the class. Uh, I, I don't see that as explicit instruction at that, that, that point, that because it's, it's part of the inquiry process. It's not, inquiry isn't about me standing back and saying, I'm not going to tell you anything. It's, it's about us identifying when we need me to tell you something. So, uh, yeah, yeah, there we are. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and what, what what would be the argument, Andrew, against? So I, I the thing is, I, I find myself completely completely agreeing. But is is the main benefit of inquiries that you're arguing? Uh, well, one of the main benefits, the, the motivation aspect, and and the reason I say that is, no, so, no, no uh, students, students, I'm going to, to put the case for uh, inquiry then, because um, I'm answering a lot of questions about. Uh, you know, cognitive theory sure. and so on. Um, it, it, it's motivation, yes, um, but it's, it's a lot more than that. If, if you want students to think mathematically, you need to say, well, what does that mean? Okay, so the first question that we have to decide, I suppose, uh, as, as a profession, if we want a unified process, which I don't necessarily want, a unified teaching method, which I don't necessarily want, uh, we, we have to say to ourselves, what, what kind of thinking do we do students need to be able to do okay and for me mathematical thinking comes from what Polya said uh, in, in, in how to solve it and, and, um, uh, and some of his more sophisticated works and he talks about maths as having a dual process between uh, inductive thinking and deductive thinking so inductive thinking is, is exploration uh, plaus uh, plausibility uh, conjecture uh, pattern spotting uh, those kinds of processes in maths um, would, would fall, uh, fall under inductive thinking. And deductive thinking is, is reasoning and, and ultimately proof. And, and I want students to be able to combine those two processes in the way that Polya describes mathematical thinking. And an inquiry for me ha has to have those two elements in it uh, to be a fully-fledged inquiry. And that's the kind of mathematical thinking I want students to be able to do. Now, to be able to do that, they're going to need... Uh, skills, they're going to need to, need to be able to be fluent in procedures, they're going to need to know facts, but also they're going to need to link up concepts uh, and, and move, hopefully, fluidly between different different ideas within maths. Uh, and inquiries often involve different representations of mathematical objects. Um, so, for me, that that's the advantage of inquiry. If, if you have a different definition of what we're doing uh, and where we're going, and your definition of, of mathematical education is about memorization, then you're going to teach in, in a different way. I, I 
wholeheartedly disagree with that, that, that way of looking at maths. I think it's, it's, well, it's not creative. It doesn't help students ultimately because they, they need flexible uh, and fluid uh, conceptual thinking. And I think you get that through inquiry processes, not through explicit and direct instruction. So that, you know, the, these, these differences aren't, aren't just a question of terminology or, or even research. They go back to what is, what do you believe mathematics is and what do you believe mathematical reasoning should be for secondary school students? Got it. Yeah, got got it. And kind of related to that, Andrew. And what I'll do, I'll do you do you a deal here that if if you ask if you answer this question, you're more than welcome to to throw one back because this this came this came from Chris uh, Chris Bolton again on Twitter this morning. And I'll just read I'll just read it I'll just read it as it's stated. And I, I'm I, I, yeah. I read it I read it. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought it might be. I thought it might be. So I'll, I'll go for the question, and then if you could expand on it. So this is this is the question: um, If inquiry or even an inquiry slash direct instruction mix led to poorer outcomes in terms of problem solving and investigative ability by the end of GCSE, compared with a purely explicit instructional model, would Andrew still stick with inquiry or ban abandon it for pure explicit instruction? So go for it. Yeah, there's a huge word there that is not defined, and that's outcome. Uh, and we need to define outcome. Now, outcome in our in our current system is defined as a GCSE grade and A level grade. Sure. Uh, what what knowledge and what processes do you need to get that grade? Um, I, I I've been you know uh, teaching uh, for many years and ahead of maths for 18 years. And as I said in, my, in the last interview with you, in the current climate, I, I I've had to have some success at that particular outcome. Yes. But for me. That outcome, uh, it, it obviously is very important for students, uh, for their life chances, and so on. But, but for me, that that outcome is only one outcome of of a of, of uh, well, not necessarily a number of outcomes, but certainly one of two. And the, and the second one is that they leave uh, secondary school confident in in uh, their ability to think mathematically, to know what that means, thinking mathematically, to have been through that process. Uh, and to, to, to think fluently uh, and fluidly and flexibly uh, within maths and within different contexts of maths and, in fact, to be motivated to do that and want to do that in the future. That, that, those are other outcomes that are not measured, unfortunately, necessarily through those, that grading system. Um, but, but for me, they're, they're as, as important as, as that grade. Uh, and for me, inquiry teaching gives students the experience and the knowledge to to be able to do that to, to reason mathematically in the way that i just described polya said and and yeah. can it andrew would you go as far as to say that if we just take and i know it's the wrong thing to do but if we literally take the outcome that they get at, at gcse say for example will will students do as well under an inquiry-based model as they would under explicit I, instruction I
on the Edexcel se- uh, second paper, paper two. So for me, inquiry is absolutely the way to go with the new GCSE. Got it. Oh, oh, oh. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you. So this, let me ask you. Um, and again, well, I can't promise that we won't return to explicit instruction at some point. But uh, just a, a question from me, and this is a, a concern that I raised when I first talked to you many years ago now, and it's it's one that I often have with inquiry. Now, you, you described um, what you termed as almost a, a more structured inquiry um, at, at the start when you talked talked us through that lesson with year sevens. But I know that you often do. Um, there's some very open-ended inquiries um, on, on your website. So how do you how do you ensure that the content or concepts you intend to cover in, in inquiry actually get covered? And does it almost defeat the object if you have got a purpose in mind that you almost have to kind of shoehorn in there if it doesn't come up naturally, if that makes sense? And especially with an open-ended inquiry that almost by definition could be going off in multiple directions. How do, we, how do you ensure that the key concept or content gets covered? I mean, within each inquiry, there are there are certain concepts embedded in in, in the prompt uh, and certain procedures in, 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 in some cases. So I know that they, if, if the inquiry progresses uh, in a normal inverted commas way, I know that they're going to get covered in in, in one way or another. So uh, for me, um, each prompt comes from the curriculum from, uh, from the national curriculum in England uh, and and relates to other curricula around the world. Uh, and each prompt is isn't isn't uh, an open kind of uh, cross disciplinary um, prompt that you might use in project based learning, for example. It is specifically tailored to to the mathematics curriculum and and, it, and is a mathematical object. It's not uh, a real life situation, uh, and that's deliberate because um, the, the learning that I want to occur and the thinking and the reasoning I want to occur. Uh, has to be specifically mathematical, and you can, and I believe you do that in, in inquiry classrooms by setting uh, a kind of mathematical starting point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when we assess at the end of the, the, the term, I can see, uh, or the end of the half term, I can see what, what, what students have retained and what they've understood, uh, and then then I might adapt my teaching or adapt the scheme of learning in in, in the year ahead. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot said about. I mean, in the current mastery uh, process, that students have to master things, um, and and if they don't master something, they don't move on. Um, but ma- mastery isn't isn't a, for me. Uh, understanding a concept doesn't doesn't happen in, in in a certain time period defined as a week or two weeks of lessons or whatever. Uh, it's uh, learning is a continual journey, and learning mathematics is a, co- a continual journey into. In, into math, I suppose, uh, and and so these these time definitions, you know, as I get older <laughs> in my career, I'm 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 I'm, I'm oh, the time restrictions. So I'm, I'm I'm kind of rebelling a bit against them and saying, well, hold on, is it the end of the world if the student hasn't mastered in inverted commas that at this precise moment? Uh, uh, that will come up, you know, in another area of maths that we can link to later, and and then we can develop that 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 concept uh, in the future. So, learning doesn't happen in, in, in parcels, in packets, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and we, we've known that for many, many years, that learning spurts and then, then, then slows down and so on. Uh, and, and we need to be far more flexible in, in our approach to students' learning. And it doesn't necessarily mean, it's 
end of the world if a student hasn't mastered something, as, as you know, the mastery kind of scheme seems to suggest. Uh, and, and what I really object to, <laughs> while, we're on, while we're on mastery, is that some students, you know, bang away at mastering something, while other students who have, in inverted commas, mastered it, get to do the problem solving and the reasoning activities. That, for me, is, is a denial of students' rights. Everyone has the right in a mathematics lesson to, to, to experience the process of problem solving and reasoning. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, if, if a teacher says to me, I've done this inquiry, we didn't quite you know, cover this, uh, you know, I'm not going to say, right, you've got to go back and you've got to do it, um, necessarily, depends what it is, uh, and whether the student's going to suffer in the future without that, or whether they're going to meet it again and, and be able to extend and develop that concept from a position where, um, where they didn't quite get to, uh, uh, they didn't get to the same position as other people in the class at that particular moment. That's, that's not the end of the world. Uh, obviously, by year 11, when they sit at GCSE, they have to be at a certain level. Um, but day to day, is it a disaster? No, no, it's not. Let's be more flexible in our teaching. Let's be more nuanced in our teaching and not set rigid deadlines for students to have to meet. <laughs> no, it's good. And, well, just related to that, Andrew. So you're obviously head of department. Do is it? I don't know if compulsory is the right word. And do do all the members of your department have to do inquiries for certain topics? Or how, how does it work on your scheme of work? Uh, well, we um, when I arrived here, uh, um, whenever I arrive at a new department, I I people know generally that I'm into inquiry, and I've got a website called Inquiry Maths. Uh, uh, and I would probably work with uh, two or three teachers in the first year and, and if they're interested uh, and that's what I've done this time two or three teachers have actually come to me and said look, you know, we're very interested in, in inquiry learning can, can, you, can we have some training and can we try some out and towards the end of the uh, first year uh, in year seven uh, we, would, we would be trying uh, inquiries um, or the, uh, the year 17 trying inquiries and, and next year inquiries are going into year seven and year eight and we will have some more discussion around that uh, and so it's a, it's, it's a gradual process of introducing inquiries to the team and them feeling comfortable with what they're doing and, and, and them deciding whether they're, they're comfortable with a structured approach uh, or a guide or more guided approach whether they're going to use the cards how they're going to negotiate uh, with students and so on um, yeah so it's a, it's a graduate approach, and, and I don't say to anyone uh, in the first year, you, you know, we're definitely doing it now, here you are, bang, let's get on. So it, it's a training process and a, and, a, and a development process. Got it. And when I when I interviewed Danny Quinn from from Michaela and, and also and also Greg Ashman, they, they they spoke about centrally planned lessons. So lessons not not so much scripted, but there was a definite plan that if you were teaching a given topic to a certain year group, you, you were following. And when I first heard that, I thought flipping it. I'm not so sure I like the sound of that. But the more I think about it, and the more I think about the position I was in when I was in NQT and in the subsequent uh, first couple of years of my career, where I didn't have much of a clue what what was going on. Um, and I was trying to plan lessons together um, and I was very, very inexperienced. I thought something like that would, would really help me. And ju just listen to this, Andrew. Is, why, why would it help? Um, just because it would give me it would give me some guidance from someone who was more experienced than, than me that. I would hope that if it had been planned by um, a teacher who'd been teaching for, for many years and who had had some success, that 
it would be a lesson that would be a, a certainly a far better starting point than if I was just at a blank slate and I was searching on Tez for a good PowerPoint on, you know, dividing fractions or whatever it might be. Um, so it's not quite scripted, but it's it's they, they were very careful to, to say it wasn't scripted. But it was I know Michaela is certainly kind of moving is certainly further along the spectrum towards scripted lessons in the sense that there are definite examples chosen that teachers are going to go through. And the same problem that the kids have a problem book that they work through. So my first question is, where would you stand on that, Andrew? This kind of the idea of centrally planned lessons. <laughs> uh, uh... I, I want to support NQTs. I, I, I want to give them a, a kind of a minimum level, I suppose. Um, but the skill of teaching is the relationship that you have with your class and, and you understanding where they are. I'll go back to that line between what, we, what you know and what you don't know, what we yes. know and what we don't know. And, and the skill of teaching is to be well, on or just above that line in every lesson for every student. And that line might not be the same for every student. Um, if, if, you have a, if you have a scripted lesson, uh, you, you are losing all, all nuance of teaching. You're de-skilling teachers uh, and you're, you're developing a, a generation of teachers that are relying on someone else. But for me, uh, my, my whole career, why I've stayed in teaching, why it's so interesting, is I, I've, I've sought to find that line in every interaction I've had with students. Uh, and every, every time I stand in front of a class, I'm seeking that line. I'm thinking, how can I go above that line how can I develop the next moving learning uh, and the, the, the script or, or the you know the semi script or whatever uh, to me uh, de-skills teachers and, 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 and moves us away from what students are thinking to what is the teacher doing uh, and, and again I come up to that distinction philosophical distinction I suppose aim of education uh, and this is why I'm so far different in a way and can't even or find it difficult to enter into that, that discussion uh, because for me, the, the key for an NQT is uh, they, they, they develop the nuance in, in the classroom and develop the skill to find that line in every lesson. And I, I would assist them, I would assist them with resources, with ideas, with discussions about the class, with, discuss, uh, you know, with, with, with data about the class and so on. Uh, but for me, a, 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 a skilled Professional um, team of teachers is, is, is the most valuable thing in, in a department, and, and you don't get that, I believe, through giving them a scripted or semi-scripted lesson uh, where they don't have to think about what they're doing. Now, some people would say, "Well, we're already overworked, uh, and, and you're just overloading teachers if you expect them to <laughs> think about what they've got to teach." Well, uh, unfortunately, I want uh, the overloading. I want to get rid of some of the other stuff. Yes. Uh, and absolutely essential for me is that planning process where, where, where teachers get, get a chance to, to think about their class and about that line for each student. And uh, I, I think that leads to uh, far more productive lessons, uh, far more interesting lessons. Um, I'm going to use, I, I, I know this, <laughs> this is going to lead to something, I'm going to say a personalised uh, lesson as well for different students. Uh, and, and I'm not saying the teacher has to do that. I'm not saying. I, I, I think the beauty of inquiry uh, is that the, te uh, the sorry the students take responsibility, or are trained to take that responsibility for finding their own line. And, and and yes, it is impossible for a teacher to find 30 individual lines between not knowing and, and knowing. 
But uh, if the students are involved in that process, then then it is achievable to uh, create a situation where you know you can you can be on or up just above your line in, in, in every lesson. And and for me, that that is not achieved through a scripted lesson. In fact, the opposite is achieved in a scripted lesson. You don't know at all where students' lines are, uh, and uh, you don't accommodate to, to students in any way at all. And for me, that is unproductive and ineffective. <laughs> nice. That's, that's I like it. big statements here. <laughs> no, it's good. No, I, I like it. Now, just you, again, just to play devil's advocate um, a little bit Thanks, here. Great. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that... So the, as I say, I, I initially kind of balked at the idea and thought, no, surely not. But then, then when I thought that, and again, I don't want to go back to the, the term novice, novice and experts. I realise it, it's not a helpful one, but well, certainly, anyway. yeah. yes. Well, but certainly as a as a as a as an NQT, a lot of the things that I now take for granted when I teach, the little just just simple things, whether it be kind of the nuances of behaviour management or asking questions or, or little prompts or knowing knowing when to look look at kids and when to look away, when when to give an extra few seconds of silence and when to when to interject, just the things that you can you can hardly describe but and become automated the more you teach, like. I just think that in your initial first few terms or even years of teaching, that's a lot to kind of take in and a lot to try and master. And again, just to really kind of push this to the limit, I, I, I think I would make the case that I certainly wouldn't have been in a position to deliver an inquiry based lesson in my first couple of years of teaching, not to the level that you've described there with, because I think it, and I don't know if you'd agree here, Andrew, but I think it requires a, a significant amount of teacher skill to know how to deliver and respond to those lessons purely because, and this is the strength of inquiry, um, as far as you're concerned, that it is student directed. So the teacher is not in as much control. So the, the surprises that you, you, you can plan for them to a certain extent, but you've got to be quite reactive. And I think that's quite demanding for teachers in their first couple of years. So do, do you think teachers in their in the initial stages of their career should still try out inquiries? Uh, well, I agree with everything you said. I, 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 and I told you that at the start of the interview that my first two years of teaching were, the, you know, psychologically very, very difficult for me. Uh, so, uh, you know, I empathise uh, with that, that period of, of one's career. Um I, I'm not, I, you know, I don't say to new teachers, you have to, to do inquiries, new teachers in my department. Uh, what I have, to, what I say to them is you have to think about uh, the interface between the way you are teaching and the way the behaviour of the class develops uh, and, and the other factors that you've talked about. Um, because for me, the model of teaching uh, d does connect with all the other things that you've just said. Uh, and, you know, if you take a traditional uh, approach to teaching, uh, you know, that, that, that says certain things to students about the lesson and about mathematics. And, and students will pick up um, ideas about their station in life, you know, which is to, is, is to sit there and conform and, do, and, and listen to the teacher and then, and then do what the teacher says. Oh, just, just a pause for the, the buzzer. <laughs> but... So, so within within the different models of teaching, you are actually saying different things to students. You're you're giving different messages. You're not only conveying uh, mathematical concepts, procedures, terms. You're you're also t t actually saying something about the way you view the students. 
So if you say to them, uh, right, you come in and you sit exactly where I want you to sit and, and whatever, I mean, it's quite a normal approach, but in that you are saying something. You're saying, I am the authority and I am in charge. Okay, if you want to say that, that that's the way to say it. So we need to be a bit more kind of uh, a deeper, and we need a deeper understanding, a bit more reflective, that it's not just, the teaching methods aren't neutral. Uh, and we are saying things to students about how we value students, how our level of trust of students and so on. Now, if you, if, if you try a more open approach, and I'm not saying I would, I would advise any teacher to try an open inquiry. I've already explained some disasters I've seen, which were teachers trying to be too open or very open straight away. But I think uh, for new teachers, I, I would want them to think about how they're teaching and, and reflect on the messages that they are sending to, to students. And I, I would want to seek uh, to convince them that the messages they should be sending to students are uh, related to an, an inquiry approach. And I would want them to show that they care and I want them to show that they're, they're not authoritarian uh, and that they trust students and they want students to question and they want students to be involved uh, and they want students to discuss openly and they want students to be able to feel they can put their ideas forward. Uh, and I want students to be able to conjecture and come up with different ideas and, and to disagree, disagree on a, in a constructive way. And I want all these processes to, to develop through the method of teaching. Uh, I don't want students to misbehave. I don't want the teachers uh, to be uh, upset. Uh, I don't want teachers to leave the profession. I mean, it, you know, as I said earlier, it's a profession I love and have been in for many years. And, 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 and the reason I've stayed at head of department is because I feel I can have some influence in, in, in math teaching and I won't go into senior management and, and have decided never to go into senior management uh, because I love teaching math so much um, and I want other people to, to do the same and so I want a reflective profession uh, that, that understands that teaching methods actually impact on all the other things that you've said and it's a holistic process and I want to skill teachers or give them skills to be able to approach teaching as, a, as in the round as a, a holistic enterprise um, and not just to be given something to go in and deliver because that is killing the profession but another another, but another, another headline there Angel <laughs> <laughs> I like it the highlight reel is going to be super from this <laughs> um, I just just wonder wonder on that then so we we, we, are, we have many um, NQTs listening to this podcast and teachers in their first first few years um, so if, if we have someone listening here who's, who's never tried an inquiry out and thinks, right, this is it, I, I really want to do it now. And firstly, I wonder what, what, what support is there available um, on the Inquiry Maths website to get them going? And secondly, if you had to pick one inquiry for, for a teacher to start with, is there a particular one that, that springs to mind for someone's first ever inquiry? Uh, there's, there's a page on the, on the website called Levels of Inquiry, uh, and it talks about uh, profiles of classes and, and the kinds of inquiries that you can run. Uh, and, and initially, you, you, you should you know, um, run a very structured inquiry and, and, and close it down, even more structured than the one even than I described, where I was basically going through their questions. Um, you might you might plan out a kind of inquiry process. If, if, if the students are given the opportunity to question and observe at the start, make observations, uh, then then for me that that's the start of an inquiry process. Where you take it there from there, whether you use cards or, or even ask students what to do, uh, you you might decide not to. Uh, 
you, you've initiated an inquiry process. Uh, uh, so for me, uh, it's very important to, to, to not start small, but to start uh, in, in a structured way. Um, I like the number line inquiry, which is under algebra prompts. Uh, I think that's a very nice one to start with, uh, which, lead, which leads into some kind of speculative um, discussion around um, the differences between two products and then leads into some proof algebra and some proof. And it's a very nice one. Uh, I think all, all age groups uh, can do that. And, and, and the prompt is very kind of amenable in a way. You can change it uh, and develop new ideas around the, the starting point. So for me, that uh, the number line prompt on the algebra uh, page in, on, on the website is probably a good place to start. Yeah. Got, got it. Fantastic. And you, obviously at the start of the, the interview, Andrew, you, you described a relatively structured inquiry, as you've said, um, without obviously going into to massive detail. Um, I wonder, can you just give us a flavour of of an open inquiry and what are some of the differences? Is it, is it purely the, the unknown nature of it? Um, what's the difference between a structured inquiry and a, and a particularly open one? Well, an open one, my, um, I, I, students need to say to me, uh, justify what they're doing. And it needs to be a mathematically valid justification. Uh, and if they could justify uh, what they're doing and the approach they're taking and the direction they're going, then, you know, potentially you could have uh, it doesn't happen, but you could have 30 different approaches to, to the, the starting point. That that would be a very open inquiry where students were generating their own pathways. Uh, so, you know, that as I say, that is the end. That, in, that ability to think independently and develop independent uh, routes and mathematical uh, um, pathways is the end of a long process. Uh, and certainly not something that you might achieve in, in a year even. Uh, or two years or three. Uh, so it's a long-term process to, 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 to generate independence in, in students' mathematical thinking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and if we've um, if we've got teachers listening as well who teach in, in schools that are setted like like my school is, um, can, can this work with um, low sets as well as high sets? Can it work with young students versus old students? Is it is it an all encompassing strategy, Andre? Uh, yeah, it's not necessarily the age, and it's certainly not, not the inverted commas the ability of the students uh, that that determines. Uh, whether inquiry can be done or not uh, in, in the first instance, but also what type of inquiry. Uh, as I said earlier, some higher sets have shown high levels of anxiety when faced with um, inquiries uh, because they can't think independently, because they've been schooled and trained in, in, in one way of doing maths. Uh, well, not doing maths, I wouldn't call that maths. Answering, getting a presentation and then answering 20 questions, that to me is not mathematical thinking. Um, so uh, it, it, the level of inquiry doesn't necessarily reflect age or, or the type of inquiry, I should say, doesn't necessarily reflect age or inverted commas ability. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. And my last kind of question on this before we move to something slightly more general, and that's um, just at the time of recording here, you've recently published a, a lovely blog post about fluency and inquiry. Now, we've, we've, we've spoken about the difference between explicit instruction versus inquiry early on in the interview, but fluency is something that, that really interests me. And again, just through own, my own personal experience, I, I really struggle teaching um, lower achieving sets, uh, certainly year sevens and year eights, with the, with the pure lack of um, 
lack of it, whether Joe Bowler calls it number sense or fluency with, with regard to times tables and mental addition and mental subtraction. I find it really kind of holds them back for, for, the, for their entire mathematical journey that they're going on, whether it's factors and multiples, fractions or, or negative numbers or, or whatever. And I know you make very clear in this blog post, Andrew, that you believe fluency can be developed through inquiry. Whereas I know a lot of people, and I think myself included here, would, would, would argue that fluency is something that perhaps is um, achieved via drills or time tests or just repetition or whatever it might be. Um, and then stuff builds upon that fluency. But you, you argue that fluency can be developed through inquiry. So I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about that, if that's all right. Well, uh, I mean, first of all, we have to decide what kind of fluency we're talking about. Uh, at the NCTM uh, in the US, uh, talk about flexibility, talk about justifying methods, talk about adapting methods or procedures, I should say. Uh, when they talk about fluency, uh, there are those who talk about fluency in terms of um, what you've just said, drill, uh, rep rep repetitive practice and so on of, of one individual skill. Um, I mean, within inquiry, in, in that phase of exploration, in that phase of uh, testing conjectures and so on, uh, often you, you get into um, a period when you will be practicing uh Procedure. So, for example, on the on, on, there's one inquiry uh, around multiplication, one prompt, uh, uh, multiplying two two-digit numbers. Uh, now, to, as you explore that and as you try to find different examples, generally there is lots of practice around multiplication of two-digit numbers, three-digit numbers, up to four, five, and so on. Uh, and and within that, I would say that 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 exploits exploits. Trying to say exploration <laughs> within that exploration, uh, students are developing fluency. I'm not saying you're, you're becoming fluent in this, folks, uh, and that's why we're doing it because they're so involved in trying to find something that they're, they're automating that process for themselves in a, in a highly motivated way and, and in, a, in a relevant way, a way that's relevant to, to where they want to go, and they have an aim in doing that. And for me, I, I see them far more involved far more motivated to do that within the inquiry uh, process than I do in other lessons when I when I see oh well, you know oh we've got to answer five questions uh, so I, I think you can automate processes in in, in the cognitive uh, words of the, the, the cognitive tivists you can automate through inquiry yeah and that's, just that's my just and just, just on that, Andrew, because motivations, obviously, it's been a recurring theme throughout this. What, what in your opinion, what, what motivates students? Well, what, what motivates students is, is, is uh, knowing why they're doing something. Uh, and if they know why they... And, and not only that, actually, in inquiry, they have a stake in doing it. They're not, not only do they know why they're doing it, they, they generated that activity through the questions and the observations that they made. So, for me... Uh, motivation is often often an issue in, in math teaching, unfortunately, and students will, will say, well, why are we doing this, and, and what's the point of this? Uh, I, I, and I never hear that in an inquiry lesson, because we know what the point is. We've, we've, we've discussed their questions, their observations, we've discussed, we might have discussed the aim of the inquiry, uh, we understand exactly why we're doing something, and, and we really want to you know, resolve those issues, those questions, those observations, and understand them more deeply. Uh, and for me, motivation in inquiry uh, operates at a much higher level. 
not necessarily right at the beginning because there's, there can be teething problems, it needs to be structured and so on. But as inquiry develops and, and, and you develop uh, an inquiry-based relationship with the class, I, I, I think learning is, is greater. And in fact, the Year 7 class that I was talking about earlier, we did a, a questionnaire. It, <laughs> it wouldn't have stood up uh, for some, <laughs> some people in terms of research and so on, but we, I, did a, I just did a questionnaire at the end of the, uh, end of the year. I did, I did, the questionnaire was based on inquiry lessons and other lessons, and uh, I don't think there was necessarily a distinction or too much of a distinction between inquiry lessons and other lessons. Um, but uh, I, I did describe, uh, we did go talk about what an inquiry lesson was, and, and, and you know, every student on that questionnaire said they had learned more through inquiry than in other lessons. Uh, so that that's anecdotal, and, and I don't hold that up in, in any way to... to prove anything or as, as, as any kind of research but but they there was definitely a, a positive feel from that class about inquiry and inquiry learning and what they got out of it um and yeah and, and with with regard to, to motivation because i know a, a lot of the reading i've done and this may come back to, to differences in, in in the research and inconsistencies again and i know greg ashman's made this point a lot on his uh, on his blog that one of the key drivers of, of motivation is success and, and students' um, experience of success and their belief that they can be successful. Um, is that something that you, you would agree with, Andrew? And is, is that something that also comes through inquiry? And the, re the reason I ask is that I know a lot of the proponents of explicit instruction use that as one of their, their main arguments because explicit instruction leads to success, success leads to motivation and get into a virtuous cycle from there. What, what, what's your take on that? Well, again, you know, it's a very linear view uh, of, of, of student thinking. Uh, success leads to motivation. Uh, to me, there's no nuance there. There's no, there's no sophistication. Uh, we have to develop success and then we get motivation. Well, uh, I, I see it both ways uh, and, in, and, and different relationships between success and motivation. But, uh, I, I, you know, at the end of every inquiry, uh, we are successful. Our mission uh, is, is, to, is to answer the questions, is to, is to think about the, the maths within the, the, the prompt. Uh, and we have success. Uh, and individuals the vast majority of individuals, if not every individual, has success because they're, they're, they know that their, their, um, their concern, the, the issue they, wrote, they, they raised at the beginning has, has been dealt with uh, by the class. And, and uh, I, I, I think that success uh, leads to motivation, perhaps in the next uh, inquiry, but also motivation leads to success. So I think it's a far more nuanced and far more sophisticated relationship than, than you, you, you teach something students do it uh, and then they're going to listen more because they've done it before and they, and they got a 9 out of 10. Uh, that, that to me, uh, I, I, I see that. I see that in classrooms. But I, I also see the opposite. I see motivation coming before success. Um, and it's how to, to link the two and develop the two uh, in a class over a year, over five years essentially in secondary school, seven years, uh, how, how, how we do that. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, the, the problem is, you know, when you put the other, I'm going to put it in inverted commas, the other side to me, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, 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 I have difficulty because I'm starting from a different philosophical background and a different uh, outlook on, on what maths is and what maths learning should look like uh, and what our, uh, what, what our aims are. Um, 
and that that's why I find it difficult to argue against those terms. Um, uh, I mean, ju- just just on, just on that, Andrew. Then, and um, I wonder, is inquiry something that you can? incorporate into a model of explicit instruction or is it kind of one or the other because i know you've been very careful to say that you don't even see the parts of inquiry where you do some teaching as necessarily fitting into the explicit instruction model so is this something that a teacher listening could think right well what i'm going to do i'm going to do one inquiry every half term but the rest of the time i'm going to teach using my using an explicit instruction approach or is it kind of do you have to choose one or the other i I think that's more than possible uh, I think what happens to talking to colleagues is that as you do that, you, you, you involve more inquiries into your practice uh, because you enjoy them more and, and you feel that they're more productive. Um, but it's, it's certainly possible to do that. In fact, most people that have written uh, for the site and have sent in uh, pictures of their students' work and descriptions uh, of what their students have done uh, would probably you know, do, do the inquiry as a one-off uh, every now and again, and that's that's that, that's the normal approach. What I what I don't definitely don't think inquiry is is if you do explicit instruction and then you say you're doing an inquiry. That for me, uh, I, I can't I can't call that inquiry. If you're applying something that you've explicitly instructed students in, uh, I, I I can't I can't rationalise that as or I can't describe that as inquiry because that is quite a constrained non-creative linear process where you just go right now you're going to apply this in this situation and and i think it's possible and i hold to this uh i think it's possible to teach students procedures concepts understanding of concepts through the inquiry process and it's very important to me this is i go back to the point i made earlier for an inquiry for me if there's questions and observations at the start if if you've got a prompt that generates that and, and inspires that uh, that for me is, is the start of an inquiry, and then whatever you do after that, okay, as long as you relate back to what the students have said, um, that is an inquiry. But if you if you do it the other way around, if you have a sequence process of explicit instruction then inquiry, I I can't see that. I can't see Got that it. as inquiry. I can't see that as inquiry. No. Got it. So it's it's not got to be kind of an add-on at the end of a topic. It's because often I see that, right? You, you, you see schemes of work and it's fractions for six lessons. Then if you have time, an extension thing is an enrich activity or something like this. Inquiries aren't extension material at the end of topics. They're, they're, for you, they are the, the key part. They're the way of teaching key procedures, teaching yeah, key yeah, knowledge. So, it's, not, it's not an add-on. Well, so, some teachers would use it as an add-on. Look, look sure. uh, I mean, you know, why, why uh, I'm not going to get into this the, the kind of the big educational argument, you know? is because I'm a practitioner who's done some research, but I'm a practitioner uh, and I've, I've had an idea about how to teach maths uh, based on reading uh, and, and my experiences and, and I put that out to, to teachers. Uh, in a way, I'm saying to them, you know, you, you work out where that fits into your own inquiry, your own professional inquiry, uh, and you determine how you're going to use it. I mean, there's no pure way to use, yes. to use the resources of the website, if you want to use them in one way or the other, that, that is absolutely uh, up to you. Uh, I mean, uh, what I, I, I will say, this is, this is the inquiry mass model. If you want to use some of it, part of it, at the end, at the beginning, wherever, that, that, that is your professional judgment. And, but I, I, I'm, I'm more interested that, that teachers have uh, conducted or used professional judgment uh, than what they actually do with the inquiry. For me, 
talking to uh, professionals and, and colleagues at that level of how are we going to use these resources is way more productive than let's have a let's have a, a, an argument about you know novice expert learner yes. inquirer Let, let's talk about how this how these resources um, you can use them productively in your classroom to get students to learn and and you know that that kind of inquiry process at a professional level is 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 very important for me and if teachers say you know i've taken the prompt and i didn't use it right there is no right way and it's just <laughs> something that i've i've, I've posted on a, on a website uh, and some teachers you know are very inspired by it and, and have used it um in many many different situations especially some teachers in ib schools uh and in, and in state schools in the uk and I, well all around the world in fact um so you know i want that professional dis discussion and, I, and, and i'm fascinated by what their students do 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 with the, the prompts and you know i don't really necessarily want to I, I do define inquiry, but you know, there's no pure definition, uh, and this is this is, you know, why I find some, sometimes the, the educational argument, you know, very uh, one-sided, uh, very difficult to engage with, um, because people are, are, are putting forward things that are so different, you know, in terms of the philosophy and, and, and the research to, to what I, I believe. Um, so, uh, to, so to go back to your original point, we got onto that again. Going back, <laughs> going back to your original point, there is no <coughs> excuse me. There is no right way, uh, and and teachers can use the resources in any way they wish. Uh, and and if their students learn and, and, and develop mathematical reasoning, and uh, uh, I, I'm delighted. And I'd I'd like to have that discussion, and I'd like to talk about how you've used it, and and what I think about that, uh, and what you think about that. Um, uh, yeah, and that, 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 that's what's interesting to me. But, Fant fan fantastic. La last couple of questions from me, Andrew. Um, th this one's an, an interesting one, and I'm just fascinated your take on this. Um, is, is problem solving a skill or a set of skills that can be taught? Uh, okay, well, this is... Uh, can I say inquiry? For inquiry skills? Yes, you can. I'll, I'll yeah, allow yeah. that. Go on. <laughs> <You'll> allow <laughs> that, <thank you. laughs> Because in the, in the inquiry world, well, inquiry teaching world, uh, some people would say uh, there's generic inquiry skills. Uh, and often I'm accused of uh, trying to transfer inquiry skills into maths. Uh, interestingly, actually, there's a, there's a big project, government-sponsored projects in Australia at the moment. Uh, millions of Australian dollars are, are going into uh, developing inquiry and maths teaching. Uh, and one of the, the papers, position papers, uh, the start that, that uh, an organisation put forward who were bidding for the, to, to, to run that, that, that project, um, they said that inquiry uh, was basically a set of generic skills. Uh, and for me, that is absolutely wrong. Uh, and I, I am interested in inquiry and mathematics. And for me, certainly by secondary school, we are teaching a um, we're using a sophisticated set of mathematical inquiry skills and they're they're different uh, and they're very different in fact to science inquiry investigations in science where you develop a hypothesis and then you test and then you change your hypothesis and test again and then you try to explain uh, for me inquiry in maths is very specific and goes back to polya 
and has inductive and deductive reasoning side by side and interchanging. Um, so, no, uh, then it's not a generic skill, inquiry. Yes, it's a particular mathematical inquiry that I'm talking about. And is it, but is it generic within mathematics? So are the skills of an inquiry, a geometry-based inquiry, the same skills you would use on an algebraic one, for example? Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I would say generally the processes are similar. Um, uh, so yes, um, but obviously the content is different. It's, it's a, it, it, no inquiry is the same. Uh, and the content and the skills in fact, again, you see, I go back to the idea of nuance and, and, and the relationship between those two things are very important. Uh, and nothing nothing can be, there's no blueprint or template to say this is how to do an inquiry in maths. Um, within within the, the uh, reasoning uh, skills that I was talking about, conjecture, um, proof, and so on, um, you know, there, there are different ways to na navigate an inquiry. So I think gen generally across mathematics, that is what defines the discipline, inductive, deductive thinking. Got it. F fantastic. And last big one for me, yeah. Andrew, um, is and this could be an hour and a half answer or it could be a 10 second one. <laughs> you Who knows? 10 second one, I know. <laughs> your choice. <laughs> Completely your choice. Um, what no. does it mean? No, what does it mean for a student to understand something? Uh, okay. Um, if a student understands something, they can uh, use it in a different context. So if, if, if for me, if they've understood, uh, I don't know, what did we discuss today? Um, if they've understood how to generate algebra, we talked about the number line inquiry at one point. If they can generate algebra, or they understand the, al the algebraic form um, coming out of the numerical examples that they would have done, can they then apply the algebraic form to a different context, a different situation, similar but different? That, that for me, would indicate that they had understood the algebraic form of uh, that mathematical prompt. Got it. Transfer, perfect. That's fantastic. And last kind of mini section, then I'm going to hand over to you for your, for your big three. And that's just a couple of reflections, Andrew. Um, a lot of guests have recommended either books uh, for people to read or whether it be uh, research articles or anything like that. Is, is there any particular uh, books or papers that you'd recommend teachers should read? Uh, OK, uh, well, I've talked about Polya, how to solve it. Um... I mean, in my research, I was very influenced by uh, Vygotsky, uh, not Vygotsky, not the zone of possible development, which everyone knows about, but his work on scientific and spontaneous uh, concepts. So when he talked about scientific concepts, he also included mathematical concepts. So how students learn mathematical concepts and how do they relate to the concepts that they bring in from everyday life into the classroom? Um, that relates actually to the line I was talking about, but I won't get into it. Um, so any, anything by Vygotsky on scientific spontaneous concepts, um, I, I would recommend anything by Mike Ollerton. Uh, he, he, he was my tutor on my PGCE uh, and influenced me extensively and I owe a lot to him. So anything by him. And there are very, very few books actually on inquiry in mass classrooms. Um, one of the only ones I know actually it was written in 1992 by Raffaella Borassi called the Learning Mathematics Through Inquiry and in my development that was a seminal moment because 
that I want to write. I want to write the next book. Uh, the next. Well, book. I'm thinking there's there's a gap in the market there, Andrew, for you to come in with a with the, any, the updated version. If, there. Any, if any publishers are listening, I have just finished a PhD and I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Fantastic. And my, my, my very last question, Andrew, uh, before I hand over to you, is uh, what, what do you wish you'd know when you first started teaching that you know now? Ah, dear, oh dear. That's an interesting question. Um, what do I wish I'd known then that I know now? I, I, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as teachers. Um, and, and pressure is put on us from outside. Uh, and we take that to heart and, and we think, you know, every every minor incident is, is a disaster sometimes, you know, when, especially in, early in your career. If you, if one lesson goes badly, suddenly it's the end of the world and, and that stu- those students haven't learned something that they're going to need for the exam uh, at the end of year 11, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I wish I'd known just to, to step back and, and not get so involved and... and, and Feel re- obviously feel responsible and, and feel and, and professionally responsible for, for the students in front of you. But, you know, there's another day. There's another day when, when the lesson will go well. Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and longer you, <laughs> the longer you're in teaching, those, those, you know, ho- hopefully the more, more of those days you have. Uh, and I wish I'd known in those first two years it, it wasn't so essential that every lesson had to be a success. There you go. That's going to get me into trouble as well. <laughs> oh, no, that's a great message. No, no, I, I fully and fully endorse that one. Fully endorse that one. Um, so last last thing before we say bye, Andrew, and that's, that's your big three. And um, I'll link to these on the show notes. But I wonder if there are three websites or blogs or whatever you want that you would like to direct our listeners towards. Uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. There's lots of um, inquiry-based um, blogs uh, related to primary education. Um, so Bruce Ferrington uh, was an inspiration to me in, in Australia. Uh, there's, a, there's a new one, relatively new one, called Inqu- Inquiry Based Maths by uh, Graham Anshaw, who's in Switzerland. Uh, Simon Gregg in France, I think he's in France, he does a lot. He's called, he's, he's called Following Learning. Uh, I, I know this is more than three. I'll let you have <laughs> a bonus, give you one more. Give you one more. This is on. Uh, Amanda Klan in... Um, uh, in China at the moment, uh, she's done some work from the Inquiry Maths website, and she she's got a relatively new blog called uh, Doing Maths, and I think that's a very exciting one, uh, very very exciting and developing blog. So um, there you go. I, I somehow got four there when I asked the three. <laughs> I'll let you off. That's fantastic, and I'll link to all those on the show notes. And yeah. um, well, Andrew, all that's left me to do is to, is to thank you. Firstly, for your time um, today, um, it's been absolutely fascinating discussions. I've really appreciated that. But then a bigger thanks just for for all the wonderful work you do. Like the Inquiry Maths website is is absolutely superb. And I, as I'll explain in my kind of takeaway after the interview, I'm wrestling at the moment with with it's the first time I've really kind of reflected on my teaching and, and started to do a lot of reading and. And for me, it's a case of finding, as, as you've talked about, finding the way to use inquiries that works best for me and work, works best for my students. And it's just been absolutely fascinating getting into the nuances behind inquiries and how to make them successful and, and why you use them. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for your generosity in, in the website and for, for sharing your expertise, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, well, thank you, Craig, for, for inviting me. And uh, I hope I haven't... Uh 
been too well not controversial but but um I hope I've put a positive side to inquiry and that, that that's what I want to do I don't I don't want to get into um you know uh, di- difficult arguments uh and split well split the profession in a way I want the profession to be united and, and to be uh, in a professional discussion uh and and what I'm doing is, is putting forward uh something from my experience something from my reading that, that I believe in and people can follow it or not follow it um and they can look at it or not look at it and use it in, in the way that they want uh but for me I'm 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 putting that forward as part of of, of the discussion um and, and I do it on that basis, and I, I think that there there is, well, I know there is research, it is a researched uh, field, uh, and there is evidence, uh, strong evidence in terms of outcomes and motivation and so on that I said earlier. Um, uh, and so I think at the moment it, it, it's kind of inquiries on the back foot. In the UK, not necessarily anywhere else, uh, in, in other countries, but certainly in the UK, inquiries on the back foot, and, and I see I'm holding <laughs> a candle up, a light up, <laughs> saying, you know, this is possible. Uh, and that, that, that's how I approach the website. Uh, and people that y- use it, please, you know, I'd really like to hear about your experiences, and, and I'll post your students' work and, and the experiences that you've had on the website, and, and that will feed into a bigger discussion about inquiry, learning in, in maths. So thanks, thanks for having me, and uh, I hope it's been worthwhile. Great, thank you. So there you have it. There was my interview with Andrew Blair. I really hope you enjoyed that one and got as much out of it as I did. I'll be honest, I also hope your head is banging a little bit because I know mine is. I've just got so many thoughts, questions and conflicts just whizzing around in my head. I normally record these takeaways fairly soon after the end of the interview. But not with this one. I've gone for a walk, I've had a lie down, I've had my pint of Guinness... And then I've had to sleep on it a little bit. And then this morning I've gone for another walk, just trying to get it all straight in my head. And I think the best way for me to try and articulate where I'm at at the moment is to describe where I was and what my thinking was before I spoke to Andrew and then try and get my head around where I'm at now. So before I spoke to Andrew, um, as many listeners will know, I've been on a bit of a, it sounds a bit corny, but on a bit of a journey. And this has involved me reading, I'm I'm now up to over 200 uh, papers, uh, about 12, 13 books, and speaking to to some of the the most well-informed, just smart people in the world on this podcast. And doing that has has led me, uh, to to generalise a little bit, along the path towards explicit instruction. And before speaking to Andrew, and I'll leave this as a bit of a teaser as to whether this has changed or not, I was absolutely convinced that in what I call the initial stage of learning, so when you're introducing a concept to students for the first time, that an explicit model of instruction was definitely the best way to go about it. Now, uh, when I spoke to Greg Ashman, he described his example uh, pair, example problem pair approach, where he does an example on the left-hand side of his board and um, talks kids through it. On the right-hand side of the board, kids try um, a related problem. And then if we combine that with Chris Bolton, who I know is massive into question variation, if we carefully plan the practice questions we then give our students following this um, example problem pair, then it enables students to start making the connections that are necessary um, to to better understand the concepts, they develop the procedural fluency at the same time. 
And this seemed to me that the perfect way to do it in that initial um, skill acquisition phase, because the teacher is under control. The teacher has had chance the night before to really carefully think through their explanations, think through the examples that they're going to give to our students. And speaking to Daisy Christodoulou on this podcast, we really went to town on the importance of those examples and then think through the questions that they're going to give the students to complete. This can all be done using the techniques of assessment for learning that I spoke with with Dylan William and which those of you know about diagnostic questions will know I'm absolutely obsessed with. And then once those kind of key skills have, have been mastered, if that's the right phrase to, phrase to use, then and only then can we start using um, more uh, complex problems. Now, whether that be in the form of um, investigations or, or inquiries or rich tasks, but crucially, given research into the limits on working memory, it's only after students have mastered skills so that they can recall them from long-term memory and that they are automated, that they can then process them in in working memory without taking up too much cognitive capacity or placing too much strain on their fragile working memories, which leaves them space to be able to process these problems, solve more complex problems and learn from it. So that's where I was at. Explicit instruction all the way, using and then move into a more minimally guided or partial guided instruction when and only when students have um, acquired a certain level of mastery over those skills. Simple as that, right? But then I spoke to Andrew and my world's changed again. So let's start by saying what I definitely like about inquiries. So firstly is I love the fact that they provide a purpose for students and that purpose is not dependent on some dodgy real life setting. Now I am convinced this is the way forward that re- too much too, for too often in my career I was trying to shoehorn real life scenarios into lessons and it was absolutely it was pathetic, absolutely pathetic. That is not motivating for students. If anything it can have the opposite effect sometimes, but a purpose is very important. Students I believe need to know why they're doing something. And inquiries do that really really nicely. Kids are presented with almost a hook, if you want to call it that, an interesting scenario and via the prompt. And therefore, kids really want to solve that or answer the questions that they've come up with. And therefore, they are determined to do that. So when they come across a barrier, they then have a purpose to try and request information and request to be taught to how, how to overcome that barrier. So I love that. I love the purpose. I also really like the way it helps students develop metacognitive skills. To use Andrew's phrase, it helps them regulate their learning. And for Andrew, this is this is one of the wider purposes of school education, not just to help students pass exams, but to help students develop these skills that are going to be so important for the rest of their lives. Now, whilst you, whilst you can certainly argue that being able to work out the uh, flipping length of a wall, uh, a ladder leaning against a wall using soccer toa isn't going to be that useful in the rest of their lives, the skills um, that when you're stuck on something knowing to how to go about requesting information and, and learning from that information all these uh, and and realizing your own deficiencies and weaknesses all these skills that come from doing inquiries are going to be absolutely fundamental for the rest of the students life so I love that I also like the fact that lessons are unpredictable 
Now, I think um, there's a danger that we can we, we can say, and I hear some critics of explicit instruction saying this, that explicit instruction uh, lessons are boring, whereas uh, less guided instruction lessons are fun. I don't think that's true. Um, I think lessons can be fun under any model of teaching. Likewise, lessons can be flipping terrible under any model of teaching. Um, but certainly the unpredictability um, is something that I believe um, inquiry, teach, uh, inquiry lessons have in their favour um, because you, you re as Andrew uh, described, certainly in open inquiries, you don't really know where it's going to go. So, so that makes them fun to teach. But it's also a bit of a bit of a downside of inquiries as well, as I'll come to a little bit later on, in that the teacher has less control over the direction of the lesson. The responsibility is very much um, to, uh, on the students to direct the, the, the direction of, of the lesson. So they are certainly unpredictable. That, that is f fun or has been in the past for me as a teacher. But also, as we'll come to a little bit later on, the teacher is under less control and that may be a bad thing. Now, what's the other one? So on the downside, before we, we start to dig into this a little bit more, I am concerned that inquiries place too much responsibility on the students. Again, and especially in this initial phase of learning. I pushed Andrew on this and I said to him, Students don't know what they don't know. So how, how can how can we expect them as, t uh, as as students to request from us the right information? And Andrew's response was, yeah, that's fair enough, but they know when they're stuck. And uh, Andrew drew the distinction between discovery learning and inquiry learning, saying discovery is hiding information from, from, uh, from students. But surely inquiry is withholding it. It's withholding that information or that knowledge until they request it. And I'm not convinced there's that much of a difference between the two. And if if there are critics of discovery learning, but who are advocates of inquiry, I'm not convinced there's too much of a difference between the two. And I'm not saying it either is right or wrong, but... Is it right to, to place that responsibility upon students to request the information? Or is it the responsibility of the teacher to provide that information in a carefully planned way at the outset? I don't, I don't know. So what, what does it come down to for me? Well, I've, I've got kind of four points uh, I want to raise here. And I think whether you favor inquiries or explicit instruction really comes down to your view on the following four things. Um, the first is, is the research into the limits of working memory, long-term memory, uh, the importance of retrieval, and how thinking and learning actually occurs. And this is a flipping complex thing. Now, the reading that I've done, and again, I'm, I'm susceptible to, to cognitive bias and selective bias and all that kind of stuff, but really suggests to me, and I've got anecdotal evidence to, to, to kind of back this up, that, that an appreciation of how memory works is absolutely fundamental to teaching and learning. So the biggest change to my teaching over the last 12 months since I've been doing these podcasts and doing my reading has been to bring in low stakes quizzes and into every single lesson to actively test students' ability to retrieve information. And I spoke to Robert and Elizabeth Bjork about this, how that act of retrieval actually changes long term memory, actually contributes to learning. And my kids are loving these quizzes. When I first thought of this, I thought, right, this is probably going to be effective, but the kids are going to hate it. Not at all. The kids flipping love it and they're seeing the effects. They're seeing the positive benefits that this act of regular act of retrieval is having. Now, when you combine that with, with spacing and interleaving and the other desirable difficulties, 
you get some really positive um, impact on learning, on retention, even on transfer. Now, you can definitely still take advantage of that under a model of inquiry. I've no doubt about that. But what I'm also convinced is that that is easier to control under a model of explicit instruction. I can plan out my examples in advance. I can plan out examples that interleave prior concepts that that students have covered. Um, I can regularly low stakes test, again, planning out the questions that I'm I'm going to use in in that test. When I plan out the questions that kids are going to answer after my example problem pair approach, Again, I can take advantage of spacing and interleaving. And I just think that if those effects are so positive, which I believe they are, they are easier to achieve under a model of explicit instruction. So that's the first thing. But again, that depends on your view on the limits of working memory and the importance of retrieval and all that. And I know Andrew has different views um, on that one. The second point it comes back to this responsibility. How much responsibility should we give our students? Now, under a model of inquiry, there is a lot of responsibility placed on the shoulders of, of, of students. And that is seen as a positive for inquiries. And I think for a lot of a lot of reasons, it is a positive. If we everyone always says we want kids to be independent learners, well, th- this is a way to do it. Kids are provided with a prompt. It is down to them to come up with questions to determine which direction the lesson takes. Andrew made the point that under a more structured inquiry like he described, um, he'll have in his head some key concepts that he wants students to do. And if necessary, he'll direct the learning that way. But students are still free to to determine which direction the lesson goes in, especially um, in in an open inquiry. And that's great for some of the students. It provides them with a purpose, as I've mentioned. One thing I will say is the culture needs to be right for this to happen. Students need to know what they're doing and what to expect. And and that's why inquiries go wrong. When Andrew mentioned um, um, lessons that have gone wrong, it, it tends to be when kids say, look, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's when I think you dive into an inquiry too early without doing the preparation work necessary to get kids used to how these things, how these things work. But having said that, is it right to give that responsibility uh, to students? Or is that the responsibility of the teacher? Now, again, I know we've got to be careful using the phrase experts and novices and all that kind of stuff. And I completely take Andrew's point there. But is it not the job of the teacher in advance to carefully plan out exactly what the students are going to to need to learn and the best way to do that? And almost not take it to chance that the students are going to come up with those questions and those lines of inquiry themselves. And if the argument is that, well, if they don't, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm going to direct their, their question in or, or, or I'm just going to teach them that or suggest that myself, then why cut out the middleman? Why? Because is, isn't that kind of taking a, an unnecessary risk? And if the students don't come up with it, you're going to do it anyway. Well, well, well why not teach them explicitly first? Why not say, all right, I know you're going to need to use these skills. So I'm going to I'm going to teach you these in a carefully planned and thought out way. And then we're going to do something interesting with them. Now, I know what the counter argument to that is. And that's my third point. That comes down to what motivates students. If you teach them something um, that they don't see a wider purpose to, then are they going to bother kind of buying into it, being engaged with it, concentrating on it and so on? And look, 
again, this is just based on my reading, two things that definitely motivate students, definitely important, a purpose and a sense of control. Purpose comes through inquiries, but I would also argue that you can get purpose through explicit instruction. When I um, interviewed Dan Mayer, he talked about his um, headache aspirin approach to teaching and I flipping love that and again I strongly recommend you listen to that and my takeaway at the end of that episode where the essence of that is is showing students um, a really inefficient way of, of solving something whether it be factorizing quadratics or something like that and then kind of showing them actually I've got an algorithm that can do that far more effectively far more efficiently and by exposing students to an inefficient way of doing something it then provides a purpose for the more efficient way that you're going to explicitly teach them to do it. So it's still possible to provide that purpose under a model of explicit instruction. But I completely concede that um, it's using inquiries really does provide students with a purpose, especially if they're really interested in the hook, in the prompt, then they want to know, how can I do this? How can I answer this? Also, a sense of control um, is important. Um, and certainly in inquiries, students have loads of control. I mean, the, the direction of the lesson is determined by them to a large extent. And having a feeling of control over their own learning is important for students' motivation. But the, for me, and again, this is based on my readings, and which can be very, very selective, I, I concede, there is one massive thing that motivates students more than anything else, and that is success. It is their prior success that they've experienced and their sense that they can be successful in the tasks that you give them. And I've seen this so much over the years. Kids giving up before they've even got going. And once that happens, once once they start thinking, thinking, I can't do this, or I don't understand this, or I've never been good at maths, blah, 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 blah. You lose them. That motivation goes. Whereas if they've been successful or if they can achieve success early on, then they get that motivation and that forms the virtuous cycle that carries on. Now, again, I can see that you can get success through inquiries, but I would argue that possibly you can get more success and more guaranteed success via a model of explicit instruction. Let, let, me, let me try and expand what I mean a little bit by that. So um, take something, let's say I've got, um, as I have the, the last year, a, a middle set uh, year 11 class. And I know that they have um, struggled with, um, let's say, something like factorizing quadratics. They've never been able to factorize quadratics. When they first introduced it in year nine, they struggled. Year 10, they struggled. Here comes year 11. How am I going to motivate those students? Now, if I come in with some um, open-ended, um, and I know I'm, I'm using kind of provocative terminology here, but let's say less structured way of doing um, factorizing quadratics, I know kids are going to struggle because they're going to they're going to recognize what's going on here within 30 seconds they haven't achieved any success and all of a sudden all their negative experiences they've had at maths in the past come back and they're like so i can't do this i give up blah 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 however if instead i plan a really careful explanation followed by or at the same time a really well chosen worked example that I go through, perhaps using the techniques of cognitive load theory, um, making sure that I avoid split attention, redundancy, all the things I talked about with, with Greg Ashman. If I do that, then follow it up with a really carefully related example for them to try. And then I follow it up with some really, really carefully chosen series of questions, maybe minimally different uh, examples for kids to do, using variation theory, which I've chosen so kids slowly and carefully 
carefully build up their skills as they go from question to question. I have the answers available for kids to check. I then go back to the board and take them to the next skill as we go through it. I think I can achieve success or the kids can achieve success far more likely under that model than anything that requires less, uh, less guided instruction, shall we say. So if you believe that success is a key motivator of students, then I think we need to bear in mind that you can perhaps enjoy success, I would argue, quicker and you're more sure of that success under a model of explicit instruction. But that may just that, that is just my opinion on that one. And finally, and this is the big one, right? It comes down to what you think the purpose of education is. And it was fascinating to hear Andrew talk about this. For Andrew, it is a lot bigger than just passing exams. It is a lot, but students, Andrew doesn't teach his students just so they can get a good GCSE grade. Andrew teaches his students, and I'm putting words in his mouth here, but so that they develop wider skills, so that they're interested, so that they have skills of inquiry that will take them through the rest of their lives. When they get stuck on things, they'll not kind of down tools, they will have the skills to be able to realize when they're stuck, why they're stuck and how to seek help. And for Andrew, that is so, so, so important. Now, the flip side to this is obviously, and it's an easy kind of cop out this, but I feel the point needs making. As teachers, we are judged on exam results, GCSE results, A-level results. And to a large extent, the kind of future life chances, and I'm being a bit dramatic here, but of our students are, are certainly influenced by the results that they get in the high stakes exam. So, what model of teaching is going to be best to enable kids to, to achieve well on those high stakes exams? Now, there's no clear cut answer to this, but a good thing to consider, and this is something <laughs> flipping that, that has been tumbling around in my mind, is if you've listened to my interview with Chris Bolton, part one, where he describes his sequence of lessons for teaching simultaneous equations, where he breaks it down into 13 uh, kind of sub processes or, or small steps, whatever you want to call it. A good question to ask yourself um, that I've been asking myself is following that sequence, I think it was a five lessons that, that Chris described. Or if you follow, and I know on Andrew's site, there's, there's a lovely inquiry about simultaneous equations where this is a bit of a spoiler alert, but where if you form a similar sim, pairs of simultaneous equations from linear sequences, uh, the, the solution always comes out. I think it's X equals minus one and, and Y equals two. If you were to give students a, a, an inquiry based on simultaneous equations versus an explicit instruction series of lessons as Chris taught, who would be better placed to answer questions um, when the GCSE came along? Now, straightforward simultaneous questions, twisty questions, questioning contexts, unfamiliar questions, questions that require simultaneous uh, equations combined with another skill. Who, which students would be best placed to answer those questions? I don't know. I don't know. My instinct, my instinct is that the students that Chris described would be under, under his process. Who would enjoy the process more? Again, I don't know. It comes back to what I said before. What motivates students? But I need to see that in action from an experienced inquiry teacher like like, uh, like Andrew. But I know myself that I, I think I would prefer to teach kids uh, those simultaneous equation skills using Chris's model because I just feel more comfortable doing that. I feel more in control. And this is perhaps my deficiency as a teacher. I now want to feel more in control of the questions I give my students, the explanations I give, and so on. 
But then again, that's a very narrow purpose of education. And if we look at the wider skills, whose who's kids will be more ready to face the wide world? Whose kids will be more independent, better problem solvers, and so on? I mean, there's an argument there that, and again, a lot of the literature on explicit instruction says that knowledge is the key to all of that. Knowledge is the key to problem solving. Knowledge is the key to independence. And which kids have more knowledge? But again, for Andrew, the metacognitive skills are more important that, that are developed through inquiries. So flipping heck, it's it's an absolute minefield this. And this this is what's best about our job, but but it's it's also tricky just when I thought I was getting somewhere. I feel I've taken a couple of steps back and I need to need to evaluate a few things. But a couple of things I just want to say in summary is that there's a definite danger, and you do see this in the literature, that, that it's kind of explicit instruction versus everything else. And discovery, project-based learning, problem solving, all, all kind of get lumped in together alongside inquiries. But inquiries are different. Inquiries are definitely different. And although kind of Andrew didn't use the term himself, there are elements of explicit instruction that happen within an inquiry. I mean, Andrew described it himself, like pie charts. Um, he, he realised um, towards the end of that lesson, or the kids realised that they, they couldn't draw pie charts, or they, they weren't sufficiently good at drawing pie charts. So Andrew taught them how to draw, draw pie charts and had examples lined up. So there, it's not a case of you it's inquiries versus explicit instruction. Inquiries incorporate elements of explicit instruction, and it comes down to, to what you think is the best way to do it. Is it a case of using the inquiry as almost a hook, getting the kids to request information and request being taught from you and then providing the explicit instruction? Or is it providing the explicit instruction first and then using something like an inquiry afterwards to test whether students can use those skills? And I know Andrew obviously favors the former model, but an advantage of the latter model is that, that again, the teacher has more control. The teacher can introduce those skills um, uh, via examples, via explanations, in a more controlled way than during an inquiry when students may realize they're stuck at different points. Some students may not realize that they're stuck. Students may re require uh, teaching at different times. And that's that's difficult. Certainly for me as a teacher, that's that's difficult to do. So where am I at now following my interview with Andrew? <laughs> In short, I don't have a flipping clue. I'm going to need to keep thinking. I'm going to need to keep speaking to people. And I've got some guests, I don't want to say from both sides of the argument, but, but people who favour explicit instruction versus people who have questions about explicit instruction. And I think the more I ask and the more I read, hopefully I'm going to learn more about it. Um. Finally, uh, one piece of advice that I would have um, is that if you are going to try um, inquiries, and I definitely would, really carefully plan it through and you've got to commit to it. It's not the kind of thing that you can just dip into. And I see this all too often. And it, it tends to happen when teachers have been told, you've got to try this. You've got to try this extension material. You've got to try this inquiry. You've got to try this investigation. Unless they're fully committed, unless you've kind of been to Andrew's website, there's some wonderful guidance for teachers wanting to run inquiries. Unless you've read all that, there's a chance it could be a bit of a disaster. And I've been there myself thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll just, just give this inquiry a go. It'll be fine. And as, as Andrew described, you say to the kids, uh, right, what questions have you got based on this prompt? And they don't have a flipping clue what's going on because they're not used to it. It's, it's a gradual process. And for me, it was only in about the fourth or fifth inquiry that I did with kids that they started and um, that the lessons started to sound like Andrew described both in this interview and when I, when I interviewed him back in 2013. So if you're going to do inquiries, and I strongly would advise you to try inquiries, 
don't just dip in. And also, you've got to believe it's going to work. If you go in there thinking, oh God, I'm not so sure about this one, the kids will pick up on it. Go in there, believe that the kids can do it. Believe that they can come up with these, these prompts, uh, sorry, with, with these uh, questions and these directions for the lesson to go in. Believe in that and the chances are it's going to work. So there you are. I'm fascinated to know what people think about this interview and whether it's changed them or whether they've got any questions. And as I say, I'm going to keep going on this quest to, to try and find the answer to what is the most effective way of, of teaching students. I, I hope there's an answer out there. And I hope that even though I feel I've taken a couple of steps back here, I think it's been, well, I know it's been incredibly useful, uh, incredibly useful experience. So all that's left for me to do um, and uh, is a big one. And that's to thank Andrew uh, for his time. It's just a wonderful, wonderful discussion to have. Um, yeah, I, I loved every second of it. So thank, thank you, Andrew. Um, thank you to podcastthemes.com for the jazzy music that you've heard throughout this show. And thank you to you, the loyal listener. This has been the longest uh, rambling takeaway I've ever done, but as I say, I'm just trying to articulate my thoughts. So thank you for, for sticking with me this long, if you still are. If you get a chance to give us a review on iTunes, especially if it's a good one, that, that's always much appreciated. And yeah, just thank you for listening and all your kind comments. And as I say, I hope you're finding these interviews as useful and as thought-provoking as I am. And I'm going to have another lie down and probably another pint of Guinness now. So um, I shall see you with some more wonderful guests next time. Take care for now. <laughs>